Hello and welcome to the Min Max Show, a good place to forget bad things. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Jeff Marquifava. Hey! And Kyle Hilliard. Oh, hello. For now, at least, more people will be joining us in a little bit. But on this week's episode of the MinMax Show podcast, we're talking about The Last of Us Part 2, Sony Heather's State of Play. We're going to unpack the new gameplay we saw there without spoiling anything. Um, I want to talk about uh, Daniel Dwyer's new no-clip documentary on Arcane Studios. Uh, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to check that out, but I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, Mortal Kombat 11 Aftermath, Maneater, we have to talk about then. We're going to bring in some fun guests to talk about Monster Train, a new deck-building roguelike um, that apparently is quite good. Uh, and then Minecraft Dungeons, and then back half of the show, we have some great uh, community questions that we'll pull from. So we just got done watching The Last of Us Part 2 gameplay uh, for Sony State of Play. What was the big takeaway? What is it like to soak in that world for 30 minutes before we soak in it for 30 hours? Who knows how long this thing is? They say it's their biggest game yet. Uh, uh, I think... No, you go, oh, Jeff. You go first. <laughs> Perfect. I, I think my biggest takeaway was just being reminded that, oh yeah, Naughty Dog makes exceptional games and I'm actually really going to like this. Really? Okay. It's just Be- Because I just, I haven't been psyched about you know, I haven't watched much of the trailers and things like that. I haven't, I haven't really enjoyed a lot of the discourse that's been going around about the game, no and there's kidding. been a lot of controversies and things like that. Yeah, and so I've just, I've been mostly just checked out at this point. But actually, watching this reminds me that they're really great with characters and interactions between characters and building these amazing environments. And it also reminded me that I really loved the gameplay of the first one. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, it is easy to get swept away. We've been thinking about the story for so many years and, you know, trying to avoid spoilers. And then it's just that moment of like seeing, what was it? Six to eight minutes of extended gameplay at the end of the state of play. And it's like, oh, that's right. This is how I'm actually going to be navigating this world. One room mm-hmm. at a time, slitting throats, uh, taking care of business. It is just like that feeling of being lowered back into that world of, oh yeah, I keep forgetting how intense this is going to be. You know, uh, the violence, yes. Writing, yes. Drama, yes. Uh, just the overall tone and just like the amount of fear involved. You know, you keep forgetting mm-hmm. the survival horror roots of Last of Us and then them showing the stalkers, the runners, everything in Last of Us Part 2. It's like, oh, that's right. This game is going to uh, scare the pants off me. That's right. I don't know. Kyle, are you excited for this thing? Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that weirdly stood out to me was seeing the clickers, you know, seeing the monsters and that kind of thing. Because up to this point, I've almost forgotten that that's a part of that world just in their coverage because they're so focused on you know the the, the human characters and the human factions that ellie is fighting like i think this is the first time we saw her fight a monster no no no, that's that's okay trailers for sure uh but it's just one of those things that i like i I feel like i'd almost forgotten about that that's a big part of that world (laughs) you know yeah exactly we're gonna have to deal with all this stuff also uh they showed off i believe for the first time that i've seen anyway is uh rope swinging like taking some yeah, lessons from so, yeah. Uncharted 4, which is strange. You know, they've been talking about her being more maneuverable with jumping, more agile. Uh, but then even seeing her in combat and seeing her dodging and counterattacking, it's like, oh, okay. The combat seems like it's going to be more detailed for the melee than I was anticipating going mm-hmm. into this thing. Yeah. No more just jamming square to punch as much as possible in a Naughty Dog game. We'll yeah. see. Maybe it still will be that. But Right, right. And the gameplay they showed off uh, has her swimming as well. Uh, she learned to swim good hey, for her way to go uh is going to i wonder how much 
is going to involve the water because you also show the boat. And so like if you're around the Seattle area, I wonder if that's going to be a significant portion of the game is just navigating these waterways, which is going to be really strange. Yeah. They played God of War and we're like, mm, yes, good. <laughs> what do you guys think? What do you guys think the odds are that we'll have water enemies to contend with? Oh, oh well, they high. tease that they haven't shown their the most lethal uh, enemy that you're going to be fighting in the game. I don't. I bet zero. Really? I think one could pop up while you're in your boat, right? And then you have to like hold a, a, uh, an overhead harpoon mm-hmm. maybe and okay. like throw it at it. And just, maybe you just have infinite harpoons for some reason. Just pulling more from Resident Evil 4? Yeah, I guess that would exactly. make sense. But I, I don't know. I'd be surprised, I guess, if it's like, ah, the clickers have adapted another agile swimmers in the water. I mean, I guess that would be interesting to see. But I don't know. I, I wouldn't think so. Um, so they emphasized in the state of play that uh, it's like hey, a whole range of environments. We have snowy Wyoming all the way to the Pacific Northwest here around Seattle. And I'm not going to look at comments because spoilers are fast and loose, but it's like, I wonder if that's it. I wonder how much they're saving if they're saving entire environments. But that was a big takeaway from the state of play as well was just, it was nice that they could show more without at least what I thought were any big spoilers in there. You know, it's more of just showing off the the combat, upgrading, stuff like that in environments that are roughly equivalent to what you've seen before of kind of that rainy, foggy Seattle. I mean, I got to say, though, one thing in terms of what something that feels like a spoiler, but it's probably just going to be such a minuscule part of the larger game that I shouldn't read too much into it. But even just hearing Joel acknowledge his decision from the end of the first game. Right. It was like, oh, okay, we're going to get into that. All right. I was, I really didn't know if, if that was just going to be this quiet thing that they just never brought up. That was like their secret or, you know, and so, they, you so never, that would all, like out of the gate was like, okay, this, all right, that's, let's see what happens there, you know? And it could still be a kind of unspoken tension between them, right? Cause they, that could just yeah. be what they were showing there in that video. That could be the very beginning of the game doing a, brief bit of recap which is probably the the safest bet for what that actually yeah. is in the game i mean they did they specifically said ellie lives on her own now so i wonder if i wonder if your if your interactions with joel are very limited and he's just this person that you don't want to talk to you know right right well he seems to encounter her in the seattle area it seems like when they have met in the trailers so then if you're if you're yeah. starting in wyoming and then this traumatic event happens there's a lot of confusing things to try and unpack here unless you just Google it, which we hope that you don't do yeah. because we're probably <laughs> yeah. going to be covering The Last of Us Part Two in a big way in the future. I know. It feels a little silly to even like be like, well, I wonder if this is going to happen because it's like, I think maybe a lot of those answers are out there, but that's where I'm at. You know, I haven't read any of that stuff. I don't want to see any of that stuff. So yeah, that's, that's my sort of mindset going into this game. Right. I did have a moment. Obviously, beautiful game. Probably going to be one of the best looking games for the generation. Uh, but... It is that weird moment of like, we're at that point, we're seeing PlayStation 4 gameplay, even top tier. It's a little bit like, oh, I think I'm a little ready for next gen. You, you start to see the rough edges, whereas, you know, the first gameplay demo we saw for Last of Us Part Two, the first extended one from E3 a couple of years ago, I think it was just uh, blowing your hair back. And this one is a little bit like, okay, after seeing like that tech demo for ps5 you know the gameplay demo running from unreal engine 5 you start to see some of the the cracks around the edge but still unbelievably good looking game and it's gonna be super fun to cover um if you watched our reaction video live you saw us freeze framing uh going frame by frame throughout the video to try and figure out what game is that person playing on the playstation vita yeah uh, uh has the internet figured it out is that oh yeah it turns out it's hotline miami Oh, 
Okay. How did they figure that out so fast? I think the music also, is like the giveaway. Mm. How did they download Hotline Miami? Because <laughs> you can't buy that on a cartridge. Oh, maybe think. like Limited Run did a thing. Uh, extremely Limited Run. Maybe. That's so funny. That's is that does that is that a good thing? Like, because it made me laugh, and I was like, "Oh, that's fun." PlayStation Vita in there, but is it? it it's it's immediately distracting, right? Yeah, we did then spend ten minutes talking about what game that was, and missing all the narration and <laughs> yeah. everything else that was going on. I wonder. Okay, let's try and figure out this date. So, Holland Miami released on the Vita. What twenty uh, two thousand twelve thirteen. 12. Okay. I, that's where I played it predominantly, was Vita. Well, so they could have downloaded it before the apocalypse. Yeah, so does it, because like the opening of the original Last of Us, that was like the last day of normal humanity, right? Right. Right. So that was what Hotline Miami came out a couple days before that on Vita. <laughs> but did, did the Vita ever try and check in again if if the games that you have downloaded on it, if you if you you know, I like have the so. rights to play them. It's no, because you can't sign in on a different Vita, really. You know what I mean? Okay. You can't have multiple accounts on one Vita, so it doesn't really need to ping the internet to make sure you own anything. Or maybe it's just a reminder that Sony's all powerful, and in the future, you'll still be able to download your Vita games. You'll be able to play your Vita no matter what happens to the rest of society. You've got it covered. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the mark. That's like what the, the advantage over Switch is like. Yeah, Switch is great, but in the future, if you if you need to play Hotline Miami without pinging a server to make sure you own it. Stick with Vita, baby. <laughs> Here we go. Just make sure someone's not sneaking up behind you to stab you in the throat. Pull your um, earbuds out rudely. I don't know which is worse. Uh, there's a lot of gurgling in that video. Um, if anybody wants to make a gurgle montage of Last of Us Part Two, uh, business is going to be a booming. Uh, hey, did you guys see that uh, PlayStation 5 stuff is bubbling up once more? Seems like Jeff Grubb and then Jason Schreier, friend of the show over there at uh, Bloomberg, is saying that it's a little bit up in the air, but there's a chance that Sony's going to have a big PlayStation 5 reveal next week on June 3rd. Isn't that amazing? Wednesday, I think. Yeah. Yeah. On the next podcast, the next episode of the MinMax show, we could be talking about PlayStation 5 lineup. Isn't that absurd? All the PS5 details. It's weird to me that you use the term amazing. I don't know. I feel like it's overdue. Like, I I don't really, you know, like, we know a fair bit about Xbox series x we know what it looks like we know what some of the games are going to be on it playstation 5 feels behind to me i guess i had lowered my expectations just with that weird window of you know with people obviously e3 not happening you know microsoft was like okay we'll show our first party stuff in july seems like a lot of Mm. publishers are kind of taking advantage of that window and being like yeah july is going to be our month here um and so it's amazing that sony is like oh we're gonna go the week ahead but you think about it like you know, they would have wanted to go a week ahead of E3 anyway, kind of like the Death Stranding stuff from last year, right? They wanted to kind of get ahead of it. And so if it's oh, roughly sure, sure. sticking with that timeline, but it's weird to map out from the uh, crater where E3 was supposed to be, where all these different things are landing. So it could be a very exciting week next week. And do you I'm think we'll get ready for it? Do you think we'll get price? I don't think we'll get price. Ooh, good question. No. I think we'll see what it looks like. That's kind of my hope. Over Is software? We'll see what the physical... No, well, 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 there will definitely be software, they said. It's, well, that, at least the Bloomberg story did. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I, I, that's, that's my prediction, maybe, is we'll see the physical hardware, but we won't get the price, and maybe we'll see a couple games. I could see it mirroring the PS4 reveal event where they show the controller, 
Um, and then they show Which a couple of games and kind of tech demo-y stuff uh, and then save the reveal of the hardware until... E3, which I guess is confusing, but like, you know, they could save that if they want to keep that splash rolling for a little bit longer, I guess. But yeah, yeah, that's true. Wild times. Um, let's see. Kyle, you're a Silent Hill fan, right? Yeah. What was your gut reaction to the Dead by Daylight DLC uh, where well, they're adding Silent Hill stuff? My first reaction was like, oh, that, that's, that's cool. That's fun. Like Dead by Daylight has a lot of cool DLC characters and stuff like that. A lot of horror movies. Uh, but it wasn't I went and watched the trailer and then found myself getting like weirdly excited because I mean and if I'm being totally honest I don't know that I'll go play Dead by Daylight just to play this right the thing that got me really excited about it was seeing like Mo- like Pyramid Head and uh, Heather or Cheryl I guess she kind of goes by both from Silent Hill 3 like rendered with modern graphics and like an official trailer and just this reminder that Silent Hill is like a real thing and then the soundtrack <laughs> kicks in. Yeah. Like it's been so long since we've really seen any like official Silent Hill stuff. I think the film was maybe like the last true Silent Hill thing that Ooh. released. God, was Homecoming after that? I don't think so. I, I mean, I my timeline could be wrong, but like I know it's been a while. Yeah. Like there was that Vita yeah. game that was like barely counted because it was like an overhead action game. You right, know? way forward but stuff. But it was to see... It was to see like the world turning into Silent Hill and hearing the siren blaring and like Pyramid Head ripping up the floor with the the sword and stuff. I was like, well, this is really exciting. <laughs> like I want I want like more legitimate Silent Hill things, please. <laughs> yeah. Instead of just, hey, Pyramid Head, he's in Bomberman, everybody. Isn't that what you want? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. What? And you said Metal Gear Solid uh survive yeah he had like a time thing okay here's a silent hill timeline kyle so oh boy i was i was way off i was thinking of downpour but homecoming was 2008 uh the first film was 2006 uh so then homecoming 2008 shattered memory 2009 downpour 2012 silent hill hd collection 2012 silent hill book of memories which is when you're talking about from way forward there that's 2012 and then the film sequel was also 2012 so 2012 was like the silent hill year uh, that was year for underwhelming Silent Hill stuff. <laughs> right. And then I guess PT, if you want to throw that in there, right? Yeah. In 2014. But uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be fun to put it in the poll, I guess, for Great Goatee Hunt uh, to see if uh, we can check out what that looks like. Do they have a timeline for that edition? Not, um, you know, I don't know. June? Is that okay. what I said? I think I said June. Interesting. wrong about that. Uh did you guys get a chance to watch that no clip documentary on Arcane Studios? I did not, but I'm I, I watched the first five minutes. Uh, but that's that's I, I just haven't had a chance yet. I want to. I'm very. I want to l- learn about LMNO and I want to learn about the the um, uh, Half Life stuff. But yeah, so please, you watched it, I'm sure. So I did. Yeah, uh, I was really blown away by uh, the entire thing. I mean, no clip has been just gangbusters an amazing patron over there please check them out if you haven't um and i just loved seeing daniel dwyer on twitter be so proud of this thing because you know like he's he's cranked out so many great documentaries that don't they're solid and the community seems to love them but it's that extra layer when he's breaking news and you know the patreon's not about breaking news but it just helps get so many more eyeballs on this thing so you could just feel that weight of like him being so happy being a huge half-life fan in particular of Please, world, appreciate how crazy this is that we get to see all of this footage for Ravenholm, which was the Half-Life game that Arkane Studios over there in Lyon, France, was working on for a while. And I always thought that, because, uh, like, you know, I've been to 
Arcane Austin twice and Leon once. So I'm pretty familiar with their history overall. So there's a certain amount of like, okay, we're going to see the history of Arcane. Got it. But I think there's so many new details here. And the amazing thing is the push for getting that footage from other publishers. Like the fact that people trust Daniel Dwyer enough and Noclip as an organization enough combined with Bethesda owning Arcane being cool enough to make the push for like, hey, in this history of Arcane Studios thing, we should actually reach out to Valve, see if we can reveal all this Raven home footage or reach out to EA, see if we can reveal all this LMNO footage. I mean, there's so many of those hurdles where, you know, while at Game Informer visiting Arcane, we would ask, you know, I'd ask so many times like, hey, do you have a build of the crossing running somewhere here? That crazy uh, source engine game that's all about cross player, a fusion of single player and multiplayer. And like, yeah, yeah, we got a build, but yeah, no way you're going to be able to see it. No way we can show that. <laughs> and so just the idea of this going that extra layer and people being like, yeah, you know what? It helps a little bit that they're not there to highlight a certain game. It's not like no clips like, hey, this is all about promoting death loop. You know what I mean? In terms of the focus and instead just saying we're here about highlighting and celebrating the entire history of the studio and then at that point bethesda pr is apparently cool enough to help as danny put it uh, on twitter to try and reach out to these other studios and get ea in particular to release that lmno footage from uh the spielberg project is just mind-boggling because back at one up i remember matt leone had an article that kind of outlined what was going on and they had some of that test footage in there but in this documentary, then, you get to see the super rough early uh, gameplay of showing off this truck stop level that Arcane had built. Um, we are escorting this alien, trying to get her from one side of the country to the other. Um, but it was really, really fun to see because you get to see uh, like them attempting melee combat uh, because Spielberg said that there couldn't be guns in the game. A lot of stuff like that. But uh, it was incredible and... Uh, just a huge accomplishment from that team over there that they're able to crack open the seal on a little bit more of the game industry and reveal these projects. The Half-Life stuff, Kyle, uh, there's so much more there than you would think. Like, you think a couple glimpses would would do it justice, but, like, Danny knows what he's doing, and he's, like, he cuts to black, has, like, uh, the classic Half-Life intro, and then just shows, like, the beginning of the Ravenholm game, which was they say like roughly about a year away from finishing but it is more together than you'd think um and then they show just an extended gameplay chunk of this scrapped half-life game which i thought was a separate project from the one that warren specter had talked about uh back when we launched the video version of the game informer show and tim turry and i kind of rebooted it and we talked to warren specter and he shed some details on the half-life project that he was working on at junction point which is all about a magnet gun um, or centered around this concept of a magnet gun. Um, yeah, and that was, we kind of all assumed that was episode three, and that, I, but that's not He made it seem like it was just kind of like a side episode, and then I always thought that Ravenholm was a separate thing, but then the way the story actually goes, apparently, according to the documentary, is that, you know, once the Warren Spector project uh, crashed, then they sent that build over to Arcane. Arcane kind of built upon that to create this half-life episode which wasn't episode four it was just an episode and whoever valve wanted to label it they would be cool with um but it was a lot of dealing with like electricity and creating like electromagnetic systems and networks to like connect different things and it looked much more horror focused there are monkeys running around attacking you and stuff like that uh, as a huge half-life fan kyle I'd, I'd be very curious to see what you think about it yeah i i need to go watch it for sure 
yeah, it's super cool. Uh, definitely give that a look and uh, think about supporting Noclip over there because if they're doing this, it's just it. I don't think people appreciate how tough it is to get a publisher to be cool and be transparent like that, especially when it comes to two or multiple different publishers having to communicate to let this footage be released. It's just a monumental achievement. And so uh, please check that out. But also Mortal Kombat 11 Aftermath came out on Tuesday, which is kind of the the expansion to Mortal Kombat 11 that continues the story, adds Robocop and a bunch of other characters. How much have you guys played of that thing? None so far. Great. Kyle? Well, I was going to let Jeff him talk because you said you picked up the game and you played through the, yeah. through, like, the main so, story. So I got it yesterday and I wanted to play through the new stuff, but I hadn't played the original story. And I was like, well, it's not going to make any sense. So I've played through, I met the final chapter of the, of the original story. That's and then I amazing. Uh, did you yeah. go in, did you play nine and 10? Nope. Oh my God. So it was very confusing. What was going on? <laughs> yeah. I really love taking a, a dive into that storyline last year before we did the Mortal Kombat 11 Game Informer cover story. Uh, it's a very fun universe to get to know, but there are a lot of details and especially Mortal Kombat 10 just complicates things so much further. So how much are you able to retain, Jeff? I mean, what's your experience overall that thing? Oh, man. Um, it was pretty unintelligible, but I, I feel like they, as it went on, they did a good job of catching up a little bit there are still just so many relationships between the characters that i have no idea what was going on and multiple versions of those characters at this point yeah it's just so so once once they introduce the time travel it's like okay well at at least i know all of the original characters because i played you know like the first three games was i think mortal kombat 3 was the last mortal kombat i played oh wow but so so that that was exciting to me to you know see all of the original characters as i actually remember them but then you know it's self-contained enough i guess i don't i don't there were characters i didn't know there were a lot of relationships going back and forth i got the sense that raiden and Liu king are always fighting for some reason it's very uh, important yeah yeah but but it was it was just fun to see you know Scorpion and Sub Zero are going to team up, and then they're and then Scorpion's fighting old Scorpion, and and th- those kind of it's it's very kind of Marvel esque in terms of having all of these amazing characters who you know should all probably have their own games, but they're all kind of forced into this one ridiculous story together. Yeah, it is just an ongoing comic book storyline that is just absurd. And that's the fun thing about Aftermath in general is just returning to that storyline and continuing it and returning to Mortal Kombat 11, which I enjoyed a lot when I played, you know, in April of last year, but I never thought I would go back to it. And then going through this again, it's like, oh, that's right. This story is really fun and the game is still fun. You know, just blasting through the story mode, getting those big beats. It's so over the top. And so with Aftermath, what they've done... Okay, light spoilers for Mortal Kombat 11, everybody. The ending of that game, which we talked about a little bit for our Moment of the Year awards uh, at Min Max here, but the ending of that game leaves things in a point where it's like, okay, we're ready to reset things. Like, we got a clean slate moving into the future. Basically, it ends with like, hey, we're going to press this button and reset the the universe. Um, And so then the idea with Aftermath is (laughs) Shang Tsung shows up and he's like, hey... Don't reset that. Turns out you don't have all the ingredients that you need. It's all about the crown. Kronika's crown, that's the secret the whole time. Uh, and now you Ah, know, the MacGuffin. 
It's, I mean, it's been a while since I played through that storyline. Jeff, do you remember, do they talk about Chronica's crown at any point in Eleven storyline? I mean, there, there has been a crown that they had to get, but is that a different crown? No, I think that is the crown then. Okay. Yeah, that well, is. I, there was a crown like on Shang Sun's island or something. Yes. Okay. I forgot how big of a factor it was then. So it turns out they need that crown to make everything right and actually reset things in a good way. And so it's all just an excuse to like, okay, we're at the end of this timeline. You can't tell any more Mortal Kombat story for the love of Christ. Let NetherRealm make something new. And then they're like, I don't know. Send us back in time to somewhere in Mortal Kombat 11 storyline. And now it's a different path and you can tell any story that you want and it doesn't really matter because everything's getting reset anyway. So it's a cool framing for things, but Kyle, what do you think of this thing so far? Well, I, I had this weird, so I've not played very much. I didn't play when it first came out. I played through all the tutorials, not, the, not all the tutorials, but like the first handful of like basic tutorials to get combos yeah. and stuff like that. And I, and I was getting the hang of it and I was like, okay, I see why this is satisfying. And, uh, I played through the first like couple cut scenes. But I had this moment like right before I started playing where I was like, I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm sitting down to play a Mortal Kombat game. And I've played plenty of Mortal Kombat through my life just at friends' houses, you know, just like a, someone has a Mortal Kombat and I hit the buttons a little bit. But I was like, you know, I think the last time that I sat down to play a Mortal Kombat game on my own was a, a copy of the Mortal Kombat Game Boy game that I found in a beach house my family had rented. Oh, no. It was just like, it was like on a table, and I remember playing through it. And that was the last time I really played Perfect. Mortal Kombat. Perfect. Uh, so, I just like, I, I, I did, I, I liked it more than I, I thought I would. I mean, you know? like they know it, how to do it's a satisfying stories combat stuff. game, yeah. you know? Um, and it, yeah, the gore stuff is like ridiculous. Like, I, the, that, the first fight where it's like you're getting a promotion you know, it's like, all right, you have to beat up your commander. And it's like, there's a moment where like I shoved a knife through her heart right. and then like the fight's over and we're just like shaking hands, like congratulations. Like it's, it's this weird thing that I've just like never been able to get over with Mortal Kombat where I'm like, isn't everyone dead at this point? And, and what's, what's happening here? And the, the frustrating part is that you can't perform the fatalities in the story mode. I, I went through like three or four matches and was like, why, why are, am I not getting the opportunity? Cause, cause you've, you go through so many characters. I thought that would be a cool way to be able to see a bunch of different fatalities. Then when I looked it up and said, oh, no, you, you can't do fatalities in a story mode. That would make no sense. And it's like, <laughs> well, meanwhile, I'm doing, these, I'm doing these fatality moves, you know, because that's one of the things that you can trigger when your health is low. Yeah. And so, like, Scorpion's shoving knives in a person's eyes and then kicking them out their butthole and all these different things. It's like, <laughs> Storytelling. Well, they're fine from that. Why can't just let me, you know, yeah. rip out a guy's spine so I can see it? Yeah, it's but, uh, absurd. Uh, the other thing, man, you got to give it up for those cutscenes. Like they just look so good. Just like the facial animations are like stunning. Like, yeah, yeah, really but it, good. And so with aftermath here, they added like two to three hours of story content, maybe more in the three range for me going through it. Um, and it's fun. Like it's just a lot of fan service for showing getting more face time for the old villains instead of like, all you know, Mortal Kombat 11 storylines all about, oh, Kronika, so evil, what's she going to do? And all the other villains, you know, because she's the new big bad, she has to be like, ah, oh, forget all those other guys, I'm the real bad one. And now in this alternate timeline, all the villains can team up and try to, to take her down. And it's my favorite thing in fiction, Kyle. It's uh, where the good guys give the bad guys a shot. Like, all right, 
as long as we're on the same team here, we're going to team up, but don't be evil. And then it's just that <laughs> ticking clock of how long it takes. And I love it when it's like an immediate pivot, like Frieza and Dragon Ball Super. Like, that's my favorite thing. Uh, and who can say how long it lasts in Mortal Kombat 11 Aftermath? Maybe they're good the whole time. Um, I mean, does it does it end in like a satisfying finale kind of way? Like, all right, the road is clear for 12, or is it still kind of floating? It ends... Or? Yeah, without spoiling anything, it ends in roughly the same spot that Eleven ends, which is okay. we can we can do anything and nothing really matters or really changes overall. But it's still fun to see. Like Shiva is a surprisingly strong character. I didn't expect uh, just storytelling wise. Like the empathy from Shiva was bizarre. Uh, Fujin, who's Raiden's brother, I had never experienced him. He's from Mortal Kombat Four, I think. Um, but he's like the god of wind. It's like, oh, this guy's going to be badass. I love playing as Raiden. And then he's just got like a crossbow. Like he, and he can make that little tornado where he can shoot up. He's not nearly as cool as I was expecting, but a lot of the other characters are, are super fun and I'm glad they added so many folks in here and stuff. Uh, and they do something like the guest characters, like RoboCop, stuff like that. Which, oh, by the way, it's one of those things where you forget how many characters they've added till you boot up that screen. It's like, oh, that's right. The Joker can fight the Terminator uh, in this game <laughs> or Spawn versus Robocop. Like, it's just so absurd and obviously not a factor in the story. But they find a way to have some characters pop in and it is so <laughs> jarring and confusing. Uh, All right. But it's a, it's a fun experience overall. I'm really happy that they released it and hopefully WB can be happy with the profits they made off Mortal Kombat and now let that team make something new because visiting that studio last year, we found like a fun rapid fire interview with Ed Boon. Um, I was amazed just how open that team was about just like, we are so ready to create something new. We're so ready to leave Mortal Kombat behind. I think we asked Ed Boon in that rapid fire interview, like scale of one to 10, how ready are you for the team to create new IP and leave Mortal Kombat behind? And he said, 9.6. Uh, so like, they're so ready to go and they're clearly a talented team so hopefully they can you know. so no no injustice three well i guess we'll see I don't uh, know. who knows i mean i remember in that trip in the rapid fire ed Boon did say that he had had discussions with marvel and so if that injustice three is like a dc versus marvel thing that would be incredible but That'd who be cool. knows That'd be cool yeah um kyle they added we talked a little bit about it last week but they added panel to pawn uh, to the Super Nintendo library on the Switch. Have you checked that out yet? Uh, I did. It's funny that you bring that up because we didn't discuss it before yeah. the podcast. But yeah, I played it a little bit. I, I had never played that game in any of its iterations as far as I can remember. And it's like and Tetris I, Attack I, or Pokemon Puzzle League. Yeah, I mean, I played it like one good session, I guess you could say, which is like if you're doing well. I don't know. I probably played it for like eight to ten minutes or yeah. something like that. You like should... It's a, and I liked it. Like, it's cool. And it, it it felt good on this, like, the Super Nintendo. You know what I mean? Playing on the Switch. You should play multiplayer. Because uh, I was just planning on booting it up for a little bit. And then I ended up playing competitive matches for quite a while. And I had such a good time yeah. with that game. Like, I guess I'd always overlook Pokemon Puzzle League. I know, like, Dan Riker was into it for a while. Um, but I absolutely love it. Uh, it. It seems like a great addition to that library. And one that I could see a lot of people overlooking because like Panel de Pond, some Japanese thing. I don't know what that is. But give it a whirl if you like, you know, Tetris style yeah. games and competitive puzzle games like that. I mean, I, there's a lot of fair criticism to be levied against Nintendo and how they're handling the Super Nintendo games. Yeah. Like there's a lot of really good things that are missing and don't seem like they're on the docket to appear. But 
I mean, I, I do pay them at least somewhat of a compliment in saying that, like, they are putting games on there that, like, I don't really have a lot of experience with, that it's fun to kind of, like, get, like this, like, paneled upon, you know? And there yeah. was, like, uh, Twin B and stuff like that. And I then like the, that Twin um, B game. I didn't expect to enjoy that yeah, as much as like, I did. Like, it's, yeah. like, things like that where it's, like, I wouldn't have been clamoring for this, but now, now I got to check it out a little bit, and it's, like, this weird historical artifact that I got to take a look at. So like, I, I like that kind of stuff. Like I want a mix of both. I want, I want Donkey Kong country on there, but then I also want like panel to pawn on there too. You know, like that kind of, that's what the middle ground that I want. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, wait a minute. You guys hear that? Hey, look at this. Ana Diaz. Hi. Welcome back to the Mech show. Um, what was the last episode you were on? Um, it was to talk about Persona 5 Royal, which we were just talking about. So. <laughs> Off air, yeah, that is confusing. And how's that going for you? It's going well, uh, day by day. It's, I was just telling Kyle, it's all or nothing with that. So, um, either it's the only thing I'm playing, or I'm not playing it. Oh, and it's still soothing, it's still satisfying to being that routine? Yeah, yeah. Nice. I love going to the arcade and just like planning outings with my friends, which I absolutely can't do right now. So <laughs> yeah, no arcades are open. Uh, also joined by <laughs> Grant. Hey, how's Grant. it going? Real good. Uh, good to see your face and hear your voice. Uh, Grant is an old friend. Uh, he is best known as the cook for Min Snacks. Uh, he also gave up playing Dirge of Cerberus, if I recall, on our uh, Let's Play on Min Max's YouTube channel. Um, that was due to a global pandemic. That yeah, excuses, excuses. He made <laughs> me on. pick up the reins and really bring it on home. And then also from the Deepest Dive on Final Seven Remake, of course, which you can find on our YouTube channel as well. Uh, we're all here to talk about Monster Train, which is a sentence that I didn't think we'd be saying a couple <laughs> weeks ago. But this is uh, a deck building roguelike that released on Steam last week. And it seems like everybody in the world who loves Slay the Spire, uh, a flare went up for them. And they said, what's this? A new game that's like Slay the Spire? It has nothing to do with Dinosaur Train or everything to do with Dinosaur Train. Also, no relation to Yeti Train. <laughs> what is Dinosaur Train? <laughs> it's an animated television show from the creator of Hey Arnold. Sorry. And don't you forget it. Uh, <laughs> so this is Monster Train. Uh, Grant, you might be the biggest Lay the Spire fan that I know. Uh, either myself or Rory, a friend of the show. <laughs> yeah, uh, he installed the door here in the MinMax studio. Uh, and so were you skeptical about a new game that seems to be pulling a lot from Slay the Spire? Uh, slightly, but uh, I think after probably a couple of plays, plays through, they did enough to set themselves apart where this is, this is their own spin on it. Yeah, so is it too much to say, oh, if you like Slay the Spire, you'll like Monster Train, or is that a fair assessment? No, I think, I think you can make that. Okay. Uh, that's, that's a super fair. If, if no one takes anything else away from this conversation, it is, if you like Slay, slay the Spire, just go play Monster Train right now. No hesitation. Yes. Uh, Anna, have you played much of Monster Train? I, had, I, I played Monster Train yesterday, yeah. Okay. Uh, did you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, okay. So as someone who's not super into deck building games, I thought it was a really accessible entry point for that. And I was really mm. impressed with like how like polished from like start to finish the experiences and like just so easy to jump into. Like as someone, like I think if you had never played a deck building game before, you could just go play Monster Train and have a wonderful time. Yeah, the presentation is so much better. I know the Slay of the Spire is brilliant. Everybody loves it. Everybody's raving about it. When I tried it out, it was just one of those things like, ah, that art. Ah, I don't know about that art. And I think the presentation here is so much better. It's from uh, Shiny Shoe, 
uh, which is a small developer. They worked on like full throttle, full throttle remastered and stuff like that before. But Jeff, what do you think about this thing? Yeah, I'm enjoying it a lot too. And I, I, along the same lines as that, I, I think a lot of people are scared off by the concept of roguelikes and they really don't like that. But I think this is also one of the most accessible where a lot of roguelikes and deck building roguelikes, it, it feels like you're just, you're going until you're, you're just trying to see how long you can go until you lose. Like you can win Slay the Spire, but it is, it is a real feat in order to, in order to finally get that done. And with uh, Monster Train, I won like my second run. Really? Like, like it's, it's mm-hmm. not, and, and it's, and it's really condensed. You only, you only fight like eight or nine battles in an entire run and then you're done. And so you're, you, it, it really condenses the deck building aspect of it. And then it has really unique mechanics for the actual combat and stuff. Weird. Yeah. I don't consider myself to be like super into deck building games. And I got through like two thirds of a run my second try as well. So it's just like really easy to pick up. Yeah. Grant, I know you're hesitant because it's not on Switch. It's just on Steam right now. Uh, but how's it going I, for you? Uh, I think I've played around seven or eight runs now. Um, and I think it took me until my fifth one to win a run. Uh, but I've since, I think, won four times now. Huh. Um, and like what Jeffem was saying, uh, finishing the heart in Slay the Spire, which is like the the official end boss, it's kind of like a hidden end boss, that was a grind and a half. Like that took me probably close to 100 hours before I beat the heart. Really? Um, wow. And to beat it with all three of the original characters, I think I've put 260 hours into Slay the Spire. Jesus Christ. Uh, that was brutal. And so this one, quicker, easier, as complex? Or like, is there any downside to, to speeding things up and making it easier like this? I think, I think less people will bounce off it, which will be a benefit to the game. Uh, the complexity comes in with the amount of factions and being able to use two different factions with each run. It adds for a lot of creativity with how you build your deck. Um, so there's certainly more than one way to success with this, which is really fun. Yeah. It's such a weird path to think of like Hearthstone and people were so pissed when Hearthstone was launched and now just like the evolution of some of those ingredients to now, oh, you know, the Slay the Spire type games and now Monster Train can still pull from that ancestry of Hearthstone just to make something accessible and it's like, ah, if you don't mind building a deck, optimizing your run here, uh, it seems tailor-made for just a weird era of RPGs now. Yeah, and it's it's a lot more friendly than a game than a collectible card game like Hearthstone because you don't have to just sit down with a bunch of cards from the beginning and say, okay, well, you know, which twenty five or thirty do I want and are going to work well together? Right. Like you're going from you know one fight to the next, and it's like, okay, well, here's three cards. Just choose one of them which you want to add to your deck, and so it's 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 a series of little decisions as you're going on and so it, you, you don't have to worry about a grand strategy you know from from step one before you go into you know a run yeah yeah i didn't find myself dwelling on any of the choices for too long which was actually kind of nice like i didn't have to sit down and strategize for 30 minutes it's like okay you get this card or this card and then you know you pick and then keep going yeah 
That is so nice. Uh, Grant, is there a universe where this is better than Slay the Spire in your mind? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm really enjoying myself right now. Um, but Slay the Spire holds a pretty special special place with me right now. Yeah. Um, check back with me in maybe like a month. Okay. Or like in a year when the game comes out on Switch and everybody remembers like, oh, yeah, Monster Train. <laughs> Monster Train is secretly one of the best games of 2020. But We should mention the one thing that makes Monster Train different is that uh, you you kind of have three different vertical levels. Mm-hmm. in you in your train which makes that's not how trains actually work but but it they they kind of correspond to three different playing fields and then you have your your stone at the top which you're trying to defend and so when the enemies come in they come in on the lowest one and so you're kind of you're having a battle like slay the spire at that first one but after one turn if any enemies are alive they'll go up to the next one and so and so that's how they kind of condense longer fights into just one where you're right. you're you're going against like five or six waves of enemies all at one time and then you're mm-hmm. fighting a boss at the end of it and so and so one of those matches in slay the spire would actually take quite a while i'm i'm not sure how long you would estimate grant but maybe like j- just like one of the worlds in slay the spire would probably take like half an hour maybe sure um there's three levels to the spire before the heart and yeah, each one the first level would probably take 15 minutes and then 20 and then 30 as they got progressively harder yeah and and so they're they're really compacting that down and you're you're fighting a lot more enemies it's just that they're kind of going from one level to the next and so you're having and that that's what also adds depth to it is that you're having to figure out or decide which which level you want to put different units at to to try and slow them down and chip away and make sure that nothing gets to that top level. And so I've enjoyed that kind of twist on the formula as well. Yeah, that's cool. Well, hey, Monster Train, if that's your cup of tea. Kyle, any universe where you play this? Um, After this segment, yeah. I mean, you guys are talking about how it's like good for someone who doesn't even really like deck building. That's me. <laughs> well, hey, perfect. But, uh, you're on like a train to hell or something, right? Isn't that sort of the premise? No, yeah. it's your... It's well, your hell train. Yeah. yeah. And you're you are like demons. Restoring the inferno. Because it's like everything's right. frozen over. And so you're like slowly bringing, I guess, light to the land. Yeah. Okay. Instead of slaying the spire, you're now carrying the pyre. Yeah. yeah. It's completely <laughs> different. Completely different game. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I joked with you about it, Hanson. Like just the, the game's description on Steam is yeah. like deck building. It's like, well, that's an X for me. Roguelike. Nope, I'm out. But you guys have pitched in such a way right i want i'd like to at least try it you yeah know, you should see if it sticks i i think the mechanic that i really enjoy is that it will show you uh which of your units are going to die or how much damage they're going to take and also if you have lethal damage to the enemy or boss that you're fighting um it kind of takes a lot of the math out that you'd have to crunch numbers doing slay the spire and it just puts it out there for you like if the boss has 500 health you'll know that you're going to do 300 on this floor and you can kind of strategize for the floors above if you have enough to finish it off as oh, it rises up. That's cool. really cool. Yeah, kind of like a into the breach level transparency. It's like, here's the numbers. Here's exactly how this is going to go for down. Sure. That sounds really nice. Uh, Grant, anything else you want to get off your chest? No, I'm good. You sure? Uh, Warzone, the new season, looking forward to it? Uh, if they add duos, I'll be looking forward to it, yeah. But those, that's rumored heavily, right? Uh, if they don't put it in... I, 
people are going to riot at this point. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, it's absurd. Uh, if nobody has ever seen Grant uh, play Warzone, you haven't seen um, the second coming of Christ, actually. Uh, <laughs> the grace of this man in that game. It is unbelievable. Uh, please stream that at some point, Grant. Uh, I, I, I'm not streamer level those dudes are that's a different tier man you are damn close you are damn close to being up there compared to us you saw me play for the great goatee hunt you saw how that went oh i turned that off i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) very fair uh grant you want to clap out sure thing bye finally grant's gone uh i probably should have told him this when he was on but the number of people uh, that have reached out and said like, oh, you got to get Grant and Ronnie, the guys from the deepest dive, from uh-huh. Remake. you should have them on more. Uh, that's very sweet. That nice. uh, so yeah. Grant was busy. So sorry to push him off the show immediately after inviting him on. But yes, that'd be fun if they... I don't apologize to us. Apologize to him. I might in person. Um, Anna, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, we just released the Deepest Dive follow-up for Animal Crossing New Horizons. Uh, yeah. Yesterday, you can yesterday. find that... Yeah, find it on YouTube, uh, or you can find it in the uh, Patreon-exclusive podcast feed. That was fun to, to reunite with everybody. I was amazed with the community's general consensus being like, ah, I'm a little bit cooler on the game than I expected at mm. 10 weeks in, despite they all said, like, I'm at about 200 hours in the <laughs> game. <laughs> it's really confusing, Jeff. Um, do you think there's any world where you'd buy a Switch and then play Animal Crossing? Maybe. Uh, if, if I bought a switch, I think I would check out animal crossing. Yes. Okay. But by then it would be too late. No one would be playing and it would just be like real life. Yeah. You would, um, just a ghost town. You'd check out our islands and be horrified. Uh, yeah, we were just ep- skeletons on every island that I visit. <laughs> yeah, it's an actual haunted house. Yeah, I wrote Roanoke on my house. I don't know what I was going for there, but <laughs> anyways, uh, Anna, it's nice to have you on, um, it would be nice to have you on more stuff in the future, yes? Yeah, I, w- I mean, I would love that. I like talking about games. <laughs> Great, and we do think that's happening. I don't know what to call you at this point, Anna. Do you have a preference for a title? Um, contributor, is <laughs> that air. fair? Yeah. Um, a co-host, associate person? Associate. I don't know. I, so, <laughs> I feel like that's an entry, a common entry-level title. Yeah, associate. I guess so. Producer or co-host? I don't know. What are your titles for MinMax? Oh, producer. You started a company. Can you give me a funny one? Um, uh, cohorts. Mm. It can be like a good. startup where the titles tell you absolutely nothing about what the first Sounds like a uh, bagel technician because we love mm. our Seinfeld references. Wait, is that a Seinfeld thing? Bagel technician? Yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah, that's, that's on Cosmo Kramer's business card. Oh, is that right? I <laughs> Yeah, uh, at, at Game Informer, our graphic designer, Lalay, would make our business cards for us. And every time we got a new batch of business cards, I would struggle violently and be like, should I put Bagel Technician on there? Because no one will stop me. I can just put it on there. No one will and I was like, but then I might, But then I might look like a fool handing it to like a, a Microsoft VP. So maybe I can put it on there. But yeah, someone was, might get it. it. Was, someone might be a big Seinfeld fan and uh-huh. they'll get it. It was much better that you went with senior sass associate, Kyle. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, true story. I still got a couple of those somewhere. I've been there for years. Anyways, the yeah. point is, Anna, um, you're now a part of MinMax, however official we can make that, and so you're welcome back uh, on as much stuff as you would like to be on and maybe even create Thank your own you. stuff in the future. Yeah, maybe. Wink, wink. <laughs> that would be fun. Uh, Kyle and Jeff, will you applaud for her, please? Yay! We like little Animal Crossing villager. <laughs> um, but uh, we should talk about Minecraft Dungeons. 
which came out on Tuesday. Uh, I got a chance to play a decent amount of it. Um, Anna, I know you've been playing. Has anybody else checked out Minecraft Dungeons? Great. I have. Did you play it with your daughter, Kyle? Of course. Are you, is there another way to play it? Okay, fantastic. I would love to know that perspective. Yeah. Um, High-level stuff, it is Minecraft's take on Diablo, <laughs> a very yeah. simplified version of it. Uh, I mean, even like the map overlay, it is just Diablo's all hell, but I've really been enjoying it. Uh, Anna, where are you standing with this thing? I also, so I'm really lucky because I... One of my other friends got a code who's in games media, so we've been playing it together, and it's just been such a joy. Like we've been, we've played it every night since we've really like, gotten the code. Yeah. Oh. Uh, wow. So not for super long, but again, like I really like it, and we can get into details later as to why that's the case. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it feels like it's one of those games where I'm playing it and I'm wrestling with myself about like why am I enjoying this so much? It's pretty simple. Like, you know, they have enough layers in there where it's not, it's like a notch above like a gauntlet legends, you know, it's not mm -hmm. that simple. And then I keep thinking about like, God, I don't know how great of a game this is, but at the same time, I've played plenty of Diablo clones that I bounce off of, you know, there is good design in just kind of the streamlining and purity and simpleness of it that wants to keep you going along a path. Even though then you zoom out, it's like, eh, you can't really interact with too many of these environments which is bizarre for a minecraft game mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. frustrations with the loot i totally get uh kyle where are you at with this thing i like it way more than i thought i would oh really i i really don't like diablo in general like mm. i i don't like loot i don't like sifting through loot i don't like you know it's just i don't find it fun jeff i'm smiling because it's like <laughs> his favorite thing i'm sure even borderlands like i don't, don't like, like loot i don't like having to stop the action no, just yeah. just go through the menus like i remember darksiders 2 i think is actively like worse as a result because huh. like to solve to stop solving a puzzle to like it's like i don't know do these boots these numbers are bigger on these boots but <laughs> all of that being said like, I think it is simplified in such a way where it's very streamlined. You don't spend a lot of time in there. And it has been awesome playing with my kid who loves Minecraft because, like, she's everything that's on screen, she knows what it is and gets excited about it and tells me what it is. And, like, oh, and this is in the normal game. Oh, because I, I saw, like, the little, um, the little zombies, which I had never seen before. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, hey, look, there's weird little zombies. And before my daughter was, like, off on another screen, she couldn't see them yet. And she was like, oh, look out for them. Those are a lot faster. And she was totally right. Like, they're totally faster. So, like, that's been really fun is, like, playing with her as the Minecraft expert learning about Minecraft. And then she also did this thing where... There's the boxes that you can find that give you stuff, usually gems, and they just say smash on yeah. them. And my kid just calls them, oh, I found a smash. That's just what <laughs> she calls them, which is just like, oh, there's a smash over here. So, like, I kind of went in with low expectations and, like, can't wait to play. Can't wait to play more with her. Like, yeah. really, really enjoying it a lot. Is she confused about um the world no is she confused about just like how different it is from minecraft just that idea of like oh it's minecraft but when a creeper explodes there's no indent like it's just weird to have like a new set of rules for what minecraft is and everything's so static and locked down in this environment yeah i don't i don't think it's really confused her because i think she pretty quickly figured out it's like oh i'm not building and creating this is just running around like she was already she was kind of on board with the story which is light but yeah. just like there's the illager that like went mm -hmm. evil. Like she was sort of in, in, embraced that and was like, oh, interesting. I want to see more about that. So really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
That's awesome. I don't know, man. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's no daughter story, but like I played a lot of Minecraft Dungeons by myself um, and enjoyed it. Uh, definitely was one of those things like, oh, I know this would be so much better with another person. It totally was. And like I went back with Captain Stubbs 1 from the community. Uh, I played mm-hmm. some base Minecraft with him on PS4 and then I got the itch to play Minecraft again. So I tried to uh, get my girlfriend to play Minecraft on Wii U with me. And it was just, it was a challenge, you know, like the classic two stick things like, ah, this is jarring and weird, but then Minecraft Dungeons like, okay, lockdown perspective. Got it. Doesn't play a lot of games immediately gets it. And like the upgrade path is clear and in front of you. And so it is brilliantly accessible, even compared to something as basic as, as Minecraft for how accessible that has been, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. it's funny because like when they announced it, when they've showed it, like every time I see it, I'm like, this is what they want to do with the mm-hmm. Minecraft spinoff. This seems like such a weird fit. Why are they doing this? And it was like, 10 minutes with Minecraft Dungeons actively playing it. And I was like, oh, okay, this totally makes sense. I totally understand this 100% why they went in this direction. It totally works. You know? uh, yeah. Well, and I think that Minecraft Dungeons is actually bringing a lot of charm to like the Minecraft franchise. Like this game is just like, it's oozing like with a sense of humor even. Mm. Um, like the whole thing that the characters are called illagers, not villagers, right. or that the orb you protect is technically a cube. Like, honestly, that I find that to be hilarious <laughs> and cute. And like that childlike approach, uh, like bringing that through the writing has like really worked for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess just, I mean, if you haven't played the telltale stuff in particular, it's nice to have just some framework of narrative for Minecraft here overall. Yeah. The, um, it's a very good podcast game if you want to play it solo. But obviously, the the secret is playing with friends online mm-hmm. stuff. They don't have crossplay yet. They're going to be adding that in the future. But I was a little bummed out that you couldn't like share items with other people. Yeah, yeah you can't drop yeah. stuff. For yeah, anything. yeah, that seems Mm-mm. insane. Like I was building up all these awesome pieces of equipment ready to go, and then other player drops, and it's like, ah, I guess let's just go make some runs. And then it kind of, I believe, averages out like the difficulty uh, to try and make it suitable, but. That's the yeah. what like what do you guys think about progression in this game so far? So it's mainly like to your weapons, right? You can upgrade each of the weapons individually. Mm-hmm. And then when you get rid of those weapons that you upgraded, you get those upgrade points back. When right? you salvage it. Yeah. So it's pretty yeah. flexible. Which is nice. Yeah, yeah, it's very flexible. I like the flexibility. I do wish there was like a baseline, like, you know. Yeah, and maybe it's there and it's invisible, but like you hit harder, you know, about baseline, depending mm. regardless of what your equipment mm. is. I don't know if that's the well, case. Well, you have a level. You have a general yeah. level. So I'm not quite sure. I imagine that influences how much your baseline does as far as healing and attacking goes. Um, but I don't know like how important that is when compared yeah. to upgrading weapons. Maybe that just dictates what loot is dropping your level. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so it's 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 cool. I, I was I was a little bummed initially because I thought like it's like, well, I'm gonna upgrade this like level two sword. I'm gonna get rid of this mm-hmm. in like twenty minutes, if even mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. I was it was nice to learn that it's like, oh, you get all those upgrade points and you can respread them. So yeah. that, that was that was nice. I yeah. appreciate that. Um I'm curious with looting, so cause I played online, um, and the game like automatically makes you share. So you each person can open a chest so you technically can open a chest twice is that the same for local oh interesting no so 
the chest just opens the one time, but then it divvies up the loot where it's like, okay, this is this player's loot and this is this player's loot and you can't pick up the uh, other person's. Whereas imagine online, yeah. it doesn't even show the other person's? It doesn't even show. Okay. And so there was some confusion when we are playing. We're like, oh, like I'd be like, hey, you want to grab that armor? I have that already. And my friend would be like, wait, what are you talking about? I don't see that. So we figured out, you know, it was mm-hmm. showing us different stuff on screen. And so that was a little confusing. Um but I think it's funny that they have little mechanics like that because I just imagine like little kids playing and they can't share. And so they're like, okay, this person's loot, this person's loot. No right. <laughs> we start attack each other. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> I'm curious to see like how much variety there is moving into the future because like I'm pretty happy with my cool build now of just poisoning everybody around me and lightning bolts coming down every time I swing my sword and stuff like that. But I don't know how much flexibility there is moving into the future, like having the gadgets and different things like, okay, fishing poles, like pull people towards you and stuff like that. Even, you know, I can have, I can summon a llama and I can summon a wolf with me. So it becomes some weird beast master in Minecraft, which is a weird concept in this Diablo like, but um, like how much have you played on? Have you gotten close to finishing it? Cause I guess it's not too long. Yeah, it's not. Um, I mean, so we only play like, honestly, like we do like one level a day sure, and it was just yeah. like a nice little nightly ritual. Um, so we're, I think we're probably like two thirds of the way through. Okay. Um, and, you know, it does, it, campaign wise, it feels a little small and I don't know. There's like that island that's sort of, I think might become DLC in the future. Oh, okay. Um, I'm not sure. Or there's the two versions. There's like the $20 regular dungeons and then there's like the $30 dungeons heroes or something. So maybe that'll open up and they'll build oh, out more. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what the difference between those two are either. Gotcha. Yeah. I was surprised looking at the price tag for this thing. Like, oh, they're selling it for 20 bucks, especially like, you know, Minecraft on switch is still 30. Mm-hmm. And so it's definitely a discount game, but it's one of those games Dude, where that, that's because no one like has checked up on the Wii U shop. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh wait, this thing's not supposed to cost this much. Yeah, well, on Switch, Minecraft is still like full price. Yeah, like, yeah, even on Switch, yeah, it's all over the place. Um, but uh, it's definitely one of those games where, <laughs> as I was playing it, I took a note where I said like, this is going to be my favorite seven out of ten this year. It's just like, it's not amazing, but it's just like this solid, simple little experience that I've been enjoying to a surprising extent and then i saw jeff cork put up his game informer review and gave it a seven i'm like okay good i'm glad that that's roughly the correct read or that people are roughly on the same page of what this thing is but you know obviously on game pass and stuff like that i think a lot of people will be dabbling with it so let us know what you think uh jeff when we got to play man eater for the great goatee hunt stream uh the shark rpg which has caught the world by storm since people are really enjoying this thing. Uh, we only played like, you know, about an hour or so, but it's one of those things of, it feels like a joke. It feels like it's going to be kind of a goat simulator style thing. And it's like, Oh, surprisingly well-made like way to go team. Yeah. And quite a few defenders of it in the, in our chat too. Yeah. Like we're def- saying that they, they they were much farther into it and they were really enjoying the progression and everything. So, yeah, yeah, that it's a little bit shorter than you'd expect overall, but I know DeFeo was a big fan of the chat and stuff like that. Uh, but it's a weird feeling to have a weird follow-up to Jaws Unleashed. Like, there haven't been that many shark games out there. Like, somebody brought up Depth on Steam, which is that asymmetrical game, which is pretty cool. But just to have an open-world take where you're leveling up your shark and it's growing along the way, like, starting as a baby shark is such a smart idea just for adding a new layer of progression to the thing. But Kyle, have you been playing this too? Yeah. So 
I didn't see how far you guys got in the stream. I, you, your baby shark. Uh, uh, we're teenage shark, marketing. please. Uh, you're a teenage shark. Okay. And you're in the, like, the swampy crocodile infested area. Right? Yeah. 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 I mean, the thing about it for me was like, I, I remember seeing the trailer during the E3 PC gaming show and sort of like, I, I bet this game is really fun for like 20 minutes was like sort of my assumption yeah. about the game. Like I thought it would be kind of arcadey and like, you know, easy to dismiss after a few minutes. But like, I was surprised that there is actually like a genuine RPG ramp to it that made me want to keep going. And like, as you get stronger, there are like these greats that you can rip apart and explore even further so the world kind of opens up as you get stronger and stronger so like i i like i got into it like i probably i probably played about two hours okay and actually and you say and you saying that you've heard that it's not super long actually makes me like really eager to go back and and keep playing and maybe finish it like the thing that really got me was the fact that there is a progression ramp and you are growing and like there is a reason to just eat everything in sight (laughs) and it is a little bit uh evo search for eden on the super nintendo where it's like okay you're choosing your upgrades for this animal which is a very weird concept also if you just enjoy if you just enjoy like laughing while you watch a shark uh eat a bunch of people this game is for you uh you can see dan reichert on his uh, twitch channel losing his mind for hours <laughs> straight at the idea of eating this thing uh, yeah, this seems like a dan reichert game oh yeah <laughs> like all the way according to how long to beat it is eight hours kyle okay that's all right yeah i could do that there you go that's doable some time for that. um also this week i wanted to mention that uh, xenoblade chronicles the the remaster definitive edition is coming out on switch on friday which was one of my favorite Wii games. And it's got a couple chances at the bat with the 3DS version as well. Um, but it's going to be super exciting. Like, it's going to be the best JRPG on the Switch when it releases, right? Unless I'm forgetting something. Dragon Quest Eleven. I love mm. Dragon Quest Eleven, but yeah, I would put Xenoblade above that for sure. Yeah. Uh, it Do you is, think you'll replay it? Hmm. So I hear that the epilogue, you can jump right to, and it's like 12 hours long, and I'd like to see that stuff. I don't know if it's worth paying full price just for that 12-hour epilogue. I don't know. Probably not, because it is so massive. Like, that was definitely one of the games that I loved playing on Switch, but by the time I beat it at, like, 108 hours or something, it was like, oh, thank God. Okay, it's been a great (laughs) journey, but it is time to put this one to bed. Uh, So I think it's an incredible game, and I hope people check it out. Like, the music alone, uh, Mitsuda did some of the soundtrack from Chrono Trigger fame, so... Uh, are you going to check it out, Anna? Have you been curious about that thing? Yeah, I have. I mean, mainly because I saw a, sort of um, an aggregation of the reviews today, yeah. and they're all like real, like they're raving. And so I'm like, okay. But also, it's like Persona, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Xenoblade. Like, it's a lot. I, yeah, I need to put a stop on the 100 hour JRPGs somewhere. <laughs> And so I'll probably take a look when it comes out. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it'll be around for a while. Maybe, you yeah. know, when games dry up after Last of Us launches. Yeah. In theory, if they do, then it might be a good time to, to go back to some of these things. But so with, the, with this version, they like apparently streamlined the quest system, made it easier to navigate what you're doing and where you're supposed to be going, give you some more direction and stuff like that, and have like new orchestrated versions of the soundtrack. So apparently they streamlined some things and it seems very exciting. Um, we talked about... Uh, on Monday, we talked about how it'd be fun to introduce more segments into the podcast. Yes, Kyle? Yes, we did talk about this. Okay. And then (laughs) we're still a little bit up in the air on the name, but the vibe that I was hoping for is it'd be fun just to have an avenue 
for people in the community to submit suggestions for just like things that are overlooked in the game industry. You know, it could be anything. It could be, you know, uh, a strong community subreddit or a patch or a developer's live streams, anything like that. And so we asked for it over at patreon.com slash min max two ends. And a bunch of people sent in some really wonderful suggestions. Hopefully we can get to some in the future in addition to other ones that people will submit in the future. But Max Stewart wrote in here with an interesting one. So Max writes in and says, all right, I've got something overlooked in the game industry. What the hell is going on over at Asobo? which is a developer over in France. Uh, they went from making weird licensed Disney games like WALL-E, Ratatouille, and Up, and eventually Connect Disneyland and Disney Rush. Uh, I think they co-developed that with Frontier uh, along with you know, Zoo Tycoon and stuff like that. So Max says, before too long, Asobo was a core Microsoft support studio doing some HoloLens stuff, most notably Young Conquer, uh, supporting Quantum Break and being one of the mini studios that was working on ReCore. So what's the future look like for this studio? Well, after doing support on The Crew 2 in 2019, they released the critical darling A Plague Tale Innocence. All right, so they're doing the Ninja Theory thing. Run support for major studios to fund a personal passion project, which ends up being one of the best games of the year. But the weird thing is, whilst they were finishing A Plague Tale, they were also working on Microsoft, working for Microsoft on Microsoft Flight Sim, which is coming out later this year, but Microsoft still hasn't bought them. When Flight Sim was first announced, it was hidden that Asobo was even working on it. It wasn't revealed until a few months later. Asobo is one of the weirdest dark horses in the game industry that seemingly came out of nowhere last year. So remember to keep an eye out for Asobo, whether it be for a future acquisition or future games, because it seems like they're finally out of that third-party support hell, and they don't plan on going back. This is one of those studios where it's like, yeah, Asobo, I guess the name's vaguely familiar. Okay, but don't get confused with Asobi, which is the name of the team that made, uh, what is the wonderful VR platformer, Kyle? Oh, the... Astrobot. Uh, you put me on the spot. Oh, Astrobot. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So that, that team is a so B. This is a so Bo. And that's a <laughs> Japanese team. This is a French team. But uh, I mean, we should know because Beaten Down Brian was screaming about uh, Plague Tale Innocence for so long. But they do have just a weird studio history where they've been in that classic vein of just that hustling indie development studio of like 140 people, according to Wikipedia at least. And then they finally get a big shot at a big original property and it was Plague Tale last year. But Kyle, did you look into a Sobo? Yeah, I mean, the thing for me that really stood out and sent me down the rabbit hole was seeing on their like list of games they've developed was Young Conquer for the HoloLens, which is so like, weird. I still am not fully clear on how to play this game necessarily, <laughs> but it's like, it's a platformer that uses HoloLens and it stars Conquer of, you know, Conquer Bad Fur Day fame. Right. And but and it's like a platformer that you play with your furniture in your house. And Conquer looks really weird. Horrific, and I would say. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was trying to be polite, but he looks awful. He looks really bad. <laughs> and there's at least one like pretty high production value, like short documentary online about making this game and like how controlling conquer in your living room feels and it is so weird <laughs> so strange that it is, they put some resources into this thing you know I, yeah. and i don't even know how to play it today i guess i have to get a hololens can you even buy hololens or is there the windows mixed reality thing can you <sighs> play it i have no Maybe. idea but it is just a good example of like oh yeah they brought conquer into ar not not to be confused with the time that microsoft revived conquer for the 
Project Spark weird yeah inclusion. He's like Star Fox, man. Like they just don't know what to do with them. They're like, I guess people They need really... they need more mascots, I think is the underlying <laughs> yeah. problem here. I mean, oh, we need something. I, I, I get Conquer again. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to pay for him, right? It's just a red squirrel with a jacket. But like, yeah, they just do they don't know what to do with them. It's like so I don't know, here you can use them. It's very strange. Yeah. Uh but then Asobo in general, it's like they're, they feel like in the same ballpark as 4J. In 4J, I think they're Scottish, and they uh, worked on, like, Perfect Dark for 360. They're lead developers on that. And then they've just been in this Minecraft support role. Like, all of the ports of different consoles, that's always 4J. So these weird studios that are floating around supporting Microsoft without being owned by Microsoft. But I like Max's take that if Microsoft wanted to bring another studio on board. I mean, that seems like a pretty safe bet. And I wouldn't be surprised if Asobo becomes a more household name in the future, which is bizarre. Who's the World War Z developer? I always forget their name. But uh, it would, I feel like it would be kind of a similar story to that. Certain Affinity? Is that yeah, the, where it was yeah. like, there might be like a headline that's like, you know, this this developer that you're vaguely familiar with got bought for a lot of money. And then when you dig into it, it's like, oh, wait, they did their have their hands in a lot of little things all over the place, you know? Right, right, right. Hang on, now I'm second guessing it. Is that World War Z? Saber Interactive. Is that Saber, the World War Z? Yes, Saber, Saber Interactive. I yeah, they were bought recently confused. by like THQ Nordic and like Coke and uh, media and stuff like that right. for a really large sum. And you, it was kind of that my reaction was like, oh, really? They got bought for a lot of money? Okay. And then you go and look them up and you're like, oh, okay, wait, these guys are actually really skilled. I mean, they ported Witcher 3 to Switch, you know, like. They know what they're doing. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, thank you, Max, for submitting uh, a little closer look at Asobo. But yeah. Jeff, um, do you know how this whole thing operates? Patreon. Beautiful. Thank you for taking the pause right. just to really think about if you should go for a joke. But yes, patreon.com slash minmax, two ends. Please check that out. We have a lot of stuff coming up in the future. Uh, Kyle, this Thursday at yeah. 3 p.m. Central, we're going to be streaming the first ever live episode of Photo Mode Snap. Yep. You can't edit out all my jokes this time, Hanson. <laughs> That's right. It keep, like, it's been really fun. Uh, I'm glad that the community enjoys Photo Mode Snap, our community screenshot review show. If you support us on Patreon, you can submit a screenshot for us to review. Uh, this is going to be a special episode all about superheroes as voted by the community. Um, but it's been fun to make like a tighter version of that but at a certain point, it's like, we're just cutting out great screenshots just for the sake of time. And like, let's just go long. Let's look at every screenshot that's submitted. So that should be a fun time. That'll be up on Twitch and then also the YouTube archive uh, the following day. Also, next week, we're going to have a vote for the next Deepest Dive. This is going to be kind of a shorter one-off, but it's going to be the first time we've ever let $10 supporters, $10 supporters on Patreon vote for what we're going to be playing or maybe not playing. You tell us. There's going to be some interesting options in there to see what direction people want to take it. So it's all up to you. Uh, also, next week on Tuesday, June 2nd at 2.30 p.m. Central, is uh, we're going to be joining GameSpot for their charity stream. So GameSpot is doing this whole series called GameSpot Play for All, uh, where we're going to be raising money for direct relief, and the money goes towards providing assistance to frontline health workers, uh, during this bizarre time. And so uh, we're going to be on that stream for maybe like an hour and a half, two hours, and we'll be playing some game case trivia. And so we have special guests that are going to come in. And then also, it seems like we're going to have a min-max versus GameSpot round, which is very fun. As a big fan of GameSpot, um, I'm hoping that Team Min-Max does not let me down and that we actually <laughs> beat GameSpot in this game that we've been playing for years and years and years. 
And playing so well, too. Just nailing. Here's a question, Jeff. Yeah. When we're playing what we're calling game case trivia uh, with GameSpot, should we do the, I could get used to this rules? Should we change it up? That's too confusing. Let's change it. That's an inside joke that's really fun, but I don't know. You think it's too much? I think it complicates things and... Okay. Just, yeah, I think so. If we're, if it, hopefully, you know, we're a new audience is seeing us. We, we don't want to, you know, confuse them with our head behind hands behind the head rules. But it's just like another reminder to pay attention. You know, I think if they're, yes, yeah, I think it's a good catch. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But yes, that's yeah. going to be on uh, June second at two thirty p.m. Central. So you can tune in for that. It should be a fun time. Um, also, this week. Uh, this week, we are revealing the Jeff Cork show. Uh, people let us hit a goal on Patreon, and so uh, Jeff Cork is back. He's creating a new podcast slash video series over here at Min which is going to be very fun, and it is called Better Quest. Uh, we are going to have a video explaining what it is and how the whole thing operates, but the core is it is going to have a big aspect of community involvement and so we're actually going to have a live call-in version of better quest on thursday june 4th at 6 p.m 6 p.m central so if you're looking for more details on that uh please check out our youtube channel or support us uh, on patreon for the podcast version and we'll be explaining what the new jeff cork show is it should be fun anyways now to supporters captain stubbs one he says, hello, MinMaxers. I'm very happy to sponsor MinMax, my favorite video game voices on the internet. First, everyone, please check out my not-family-friendly gaming YouTube channel, Captain Stubbs one Also, I'd like to take the opportunity to give a PSA to everybody. Please, if you need locksmith services, go to aloa.com, the Associated Locksmith of America, to find a reputable local locksmith, as scammers are an industry problem. And finally, a little bit of getting better. Uh, here's some life advice for you. Be precise in your speech. This is, I don't yeah. like it. Not me. Not for me. <laughs> yeah, because I think you can do a little bit better with what you're doing here. But thank you for uh, being a supporter here at MinMax and for uh, leaving life advice every week. That's very sweet. Also, Michael Moran says, Hey, List Wars is a podcast about ranking things. From Disney songs to zoo animals, each episode we pick a different topic to rank and debate and cannot legally end the show until we have agreed upon a communal list. On our most recent episode, you can hear us argue about the top five best movies with a score under 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. List Wars is is available on all the usual podcast providers and we try to post episodes every other week we love you minmax thanks for checking out our podcast i'm ben hansen and i'm bad at golf and starcraft thank you michael <laughs> for supporting us and making me say things uh also of course thanks to i am 8-bit for supporting minmax in a big bad way you can check out their store at uh, i am 8-bit.com and if you enter the promo code minmax you get 10 percent off everything in that store and uh they have creature in the well the physical version, it's a limited edition. They only they only are making 2,000 of these, but they have the limited edition Switch and PS4 versions of Creature in the Well, which is the top-down pinball hack-and-slash game. So please check that out, and you can use the promo code MINMAX to get 10% off. Thanks so much. And also, thanks to I Am 8-Bit, we are going to be giving away another fantastic prize to the question of the week. Uh if you support us at any tier, you can leave a comment or question for us to read on the Minimax Show podcast. Uh, and our favorite comment or question this week is going to receive this amazing Cuphead vinyl soundtrack for my mate bit. They will ship out uh, an amazing version of this, but look at this production. It's nice. incredible. These things are selling out all over the place, and i bit is so supportive that they're going to ship one out to the best question. 
Y'all ready to get to the questions? Mm-hmm. Great. CP Severance wants to know, what is the most overlooked game or games in each of the following franchises? Games that range from good to great that just don't get the recognition other games in the franchise get. Uh, Silent Hill is CP Severance's first one. Uh, the Room, probably, right? What I remember, maybe it's just a GameSpot score, but I have such a negative impression from the critics of The Room, but I remember my friends playing it at the time and loving it. Yeah, that's why it's overlooked, right? Yeah, that's I guess the whole so. Premise? Do you um what do you like about the room? Well, I mean, full disclosure, I haven't played a lot of it. I like probably like an hour or two. Oh. But like I like the the concept of it of just like having that one singular location that you return to often and it is in the first person perspective, so you see it from a whole different perspective than the rest of the game. I think is unique and interesting and and a good idea for a horror game, I think, you know? Like yeah. giving you the sense of safety in this one area of the game. Like, I think that's, I mean, Resident Evil has that kind of thing in it too, you know? Right. Even like Resident Evil 3 remake, which the varying perspective in there. Uh, yeah. Castlevania. What is the most overlooked Castlevania game? Um, Ecclesia for DS, probably. I what think Surya would back me up on that. Yeah. Uh, it's really hard. It's the hardest one. Maybe not the hardest one, period, but in that post-Symphony of the Night sort of generation of Castlevania. I think it's the hardest ones. And a lot of, a lot of people bounced off that first boss, but like the DS Castlevanias are like my favorite. They're the best. And that one is just like a really challenging one with uh, really sort of uh, unique mechanics that eventually got sort of pulled into bloodstain that we talked about recently on the podcast. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, Assassin's Creed. Are there any overlooked Assassin's Creeds? I, I liked what I played of Assassin's Creed Chronicles, which was their, you know, oh, the, the 2D. Yeah, the 2D one that was very clearly inspired by Mark of the Ninja or shares a lot of design DNA with Mark of the Ninja. But I thought it was cool. And like the China setting, I thought it was cool for the first one. And then I think it went to like Russia and India after that. Mm-hmm. I mean, without oh. having played it, the one that I kind of assumed or thought was Rogue, right? I yeah, mean, that's, that's, that's what I was going to say. Which was their own fault for releasing it at the same time as another Assassin's Creed? As Unity, yeah. Uh, Legend of Zelda, Kyle, the most overlooked Legend of Zelda game. Huh. Overlooked Legend of Zelda game. Well, I know what Onuma would say. Because <laughs> I, he, remember, I don't know if you remember this, but we asked him to rank his personal favorite Zelda games. Yeah. And I don't remember if it was his number one or if it was just in his top three, but he said the, uh, the Phantom Hourglass, the DS one, was like mm. one of his favorites. Which is not one of my favorites, um, but he he's really proud of that one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess it's just any of like the lower tier ones. Like even people bash on Skyward Sword, I get. Uh, people bash Spirit mm. Tracks, but like, I mean, Spirit Tracks is still a good game overall, right? Yeah. 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 I, I think Skyward Sword is a lot better than it gets credit for. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I some I. There's a, Majora's Mask, I feel like, is underplayed, but not overlooked. I think people recognize that as being this weird, gothic, kind of dark Zelda. But, like, to throw Brian Shea under the bus, former, you know, well, not former, he's still at Game Informer, uh-huh. but he would always, you know, Ocarina of Time is his favorite game of all time, but he never played Majora's Mask. That's insane. And I would never stop giving him crap for that. <laughs> like, how can you not play the, the excellent sequel to your favorite game of all time? But I, I don't know that that's common. I think a lot of people did get around to Majora's Mask. I that's a hard question. Yeah. Do you think Twilight Princess could fall into that as well? I mean, maybe... It's, it's kind of like Majora's Mask that people 
see its value for its like unique tone, but then also don't like it. <laughs> it's, it's a weird time where like, I think if you were on the hype train going into that, then I'd be like, wow, well, I think that got enough of a look. Just everybody's so eager for it. But now I think people maybe forget some of the highlights of Twilight Princess in there, right? I guess it did get a remake too. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you, there's also things like um, the, the Game Boy Color games. Minish mm-hmm. Cap. That could be yeah. a... I mean, Minish yeah. Cap I absolutely adore. And I yeah. think people might write that off because it was yeah. developed outside of Nintendo. But like... Yeah. I love Minish Cap. Yeah. It might, it might show up in my top 10 Zelda games. Yeah. Oh, wow. together. Yeah. Uh, and then CP Severance wants to know Star Wars games. Uh, I'd say like the, the RTS games, uh, like Galactic Battlegrounds, which was like in the Age of Empires engine. Age of Empires 2 engine was cool. Also, I realized I never played Empire at War, which is like the 2006 RTS game. That's one of those things like, mm. how have I missed this? How have I never played this Star Wars RTS game? I need to go back and, and stream it at some point or something. But... Any other Star Wars games that are underrated, you think? Overlooked? I mean, I love Shadows of the Empire. And that got that its due. I think but everyone I, yeah, in the world has the played I, that I, game. Yeah, I think it's... I think people would... Well, I don't know, but people... I I guess people think it is, has aged really poorly. Think uh, or no? It has. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I played it in the last couple of months all the way through, and I still... But that's a lot of nostalgia there for that game, for sure. Right, right. Yeah. I wonder, this is way left field, but actually a game that was kind of important when, like, for people my age is Lego Star Wars. Like, a lot of people grew up playing that on GameCube. Yeah. Uh, And I don't know if that could fall into that as well. Yeah, I mean, when you think of Star Wars games, maybe people wouldn't think of it, but... Yeah. Or a lot of people wouldn't, but it is super fun, and like, Warner Brothers, maybe they're struggling with the release, but that's been a weird rollout for that complete skywalker saga of lego star wars this year like mm-hmm. everybody assumed it was coming out time with the film last year and then that slipped and they've just quietly <laughs> been still working on it over there but maybe that'll kind of like rekindle some people's love for lego star wars in general yeah uh this week in video games says hey max crew what's your favorite controller innovation of all time controller innovation hd what? rumble on the <laughs> really yeah i mean how often it's just rumble how often are you feeling an ice cube over there i with mario odyssey it was brilliantly implemented (laughs) Um, i think think it was implemented (laughs) the technically sometimes implemented hd rumble i okay what are what are what are everyone else's i mean the control stick right (laughs) oh i mean yeah (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and actually, I was going to go a step They're, further. And I was thinking of like more specific, like more. Yeah. Well, I was actually going to say even the dual control stick, because mm-hmm. like when I first saw that, I thought it was absurd. I thought yeah. it was dumb. I thought it was ridiculous. I remember playing Time Splitters for the first time and being like, this is so complicated. I hate it. But then like the first game that really where it clicks with you, like for me, it was Halo. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I can never go back. Like this is this is the only way to play games now. And it's like literally true. Like I if. I could not have two control sticks at this point. Right. And it's so weird. Like when that launch for the PlayStation one is like, okay, well I'm going to wrap my mind around using this for ape escape. That's one thing. But then time splitters one comes out just not too long after that. And that's where my brain broke. I remember it felt like studying, you know, it felt like (laughs) I was cramming for a test, just trying to understand how that was actually working and how the camera was moving. And it took a long time. Well, and, and the the first games like that weren't good at it either because they, they hadn't figured out the format. I remember 
I guess it was a little different with like Goldeneye because you still only had one control stick, but they were basically simulating the other one on the C stick. But it, yeah, I think the default was like you would you would move you know forward and backward with one joystick, but also turn left and right with that joystick, and then everything else was relegated to the right stick and so it was it was kind of like a pat your head and rub your stomach kind of thing right right they they need to figure out just put the strafe just put all the movement on one side and all the looking around on the other yeah i remember it's very satisfying talking to jamie greesemer who was one of the designers there at bungie for the early halo games um and then he went on to be the lead designer for infamous second son and and Gollum, that vr game um but he was talking about like designing the control scheme for halo and how much they studied time splitters. Like, all right, well, we got to look at time splitters to figure out what they did and try and make some evolution off of that. And I think they did a great job. Um, but in terms of like controller innovation, I guess more recent, recent-ish. But what about just like the headphone jack? Mm. Very yeah. useful. Very, that's wonderful little innovation they have there. I I was gonna say the I really ended up appreciating the share button too. Oh, just just having that ability to take screenshots anytime. Especially on the yeah. Switch when it is so fast. Like, I will hit that mm-hmm. thing all the time just to try and remind myself, like, okay, at some point I want to go back through this album and try and remember what it was like playing this game and seeing all the different environments and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, sincerely, Eric says, hello, Anna. Hey. There, there we go. Uh, with plenty of time uh, for some people at home right now, what is a show you can all recommend binging? Hansen, as a fan of Twilight Zone, have you checked out Tales from the Loop on Amazon? Uh, no, I don't have Amazon Prime. Also, this is weird. I'm trying to be a weird purist with my love of Twilight Zone where I don't want to watch Outer Limits. Even like um, Black Mirror, I haven't watched that many episodes of because I don't want to be confused about, was that a Twilight Zone episode or was that not? It's a stupid thing, but I'm trying to keep Twilight Zone style storytelling locked into my brain. Yeah, I agree with you, Hanson. That is a stupid thing. Oh, thanks. Yeah, cool. Uh, what show would you recommend binging, Kyle? Uh, Dead to Me on Netflix. I feel like I'm not hearing a lot of people talking about it, but it's Linda Cardinelli and James Marsden and Christina Applegate. And it's a dark comedy. It's very, very good. Uh, I, I don't even want to say a lot about it because it kind of, there's, there's things that can be spoiled about it, but it, you know, yeah. it's, it's like a tale of murder and parenting and mothership and not I really, supernatural. I really like it. No, no, not at all. Um, but I find my, it's one of those shows like I love uh, Barry, I think is my favorite show on television right now. And it's it's kind of in that vein of like, I will be laughing at something and then just be like horrified about what those characters are going through within the next minute. And uh, yeah, it's it's one I because Serial actually tweeted at me also like agreeing with me that Dead to Me is 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 very good. And I just I feel like I'm, I, I don't see a lot of people talking about it, but I really recommend it and really like it a lot. Huh. There you go. And I said mothership. I should have said motherhood. <laughs> That's yeah, probably the mothership is cooler. They should really use that term. I think. <laughs> anybody else been binging anything? My wife and I are like five or six episodes into Counterpart, which is on Amazon Prime, uh, and it's this cool sci-fi story starring uh, J.K. Simmons. What? Which is which is like attention. it's the best thing he's ever done. Definitely. What? Um, and have you played portal two? Yes. And it's still, I mean, this is like a serious dramatic role for him where he's actually playing two different characters that are very different. And so huh. like, it, it's the kind of thing where for a character actor like that, you just feel really good for them that they finally gotten 
you know, a meaty part where he is the main character and he can really sink his teeth into it. And turns out he's a great actor and, you know, not just J. Jonah Jameson from Spider-Man. Uh, but it, it's a it's a really cool sci-fi story where basically, I think it, like during the Cold War, there was some kind of experiment that created a alternate universe that's just like our universe. And there is this portal in, you know, in the basement of this giant, you know, like research facility in Germany that basically links them from one side to the other side. And so it's essentially this cold war kind of spy story except you have people going from one and and over time like the two parallel universes have gotten very different because one side has suffered a pandemic which was amazingly prescient for this for the story and kind yeah. of terrifying but but so they they kind of have split off and you have a lot of kind of cold war-esque espionage going back and forth on which character, you know, some characters are sneaking over to the other side and they're, and they're trying to learn about one another's, you know, essentially world governments. And, and basically the idea is that knowledge is the ultimate currency because for once they have basically this other test case of things that could be happening to them because there's now a different world to compare us to. And huh. so what's it called again? And so it's called counterpart counterpart and JK Simmons. Yeah, he he plays his character in this world and the other world, and they're very different and interact with one another, and it's it's super interesting and heady. Huh. So sweet, Anna, you got anything to recommend? Yeah, um, I actually haven't. I watched it as it was coming out, but when anyone asks me for a binge recommendation, it's my go-to is um, Succession. It's on HBO. Oh yeah, um, and it follows the family of. It's like kind of loosely based on the Murdochs. Right. Um, it's like a super wealthy media family and it sort of follows like the sparring between the siblings as they all grapple for power within the company. And it's again, the first season it's, it's really good, um, but not nearly as good. Like the second season is incredible. It's just the best television that I've seen in like a long time. And Damn it. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. I've been meaning to watch that for so long. Did they just have two seasons? Is yeah. it like a continuing story though? Is it going to keep going? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know with COVID, like what the production cycle is looking like now, but it could be a good time to uh, start and catch up. Yeah. All right. I got to do that. Uh, Gio Bonagi says, I was talking to an old buddy that I used to play World of Warcraft with and a particular comment struck me. He was commenting on the fact that we've grown past playing MMOs of that type, but that he missed quote living in that world. Since then, I can't stop thinking about how we've been on a search for a game just like that. Battle Royale seem to be the flavor lately, but living in those worlds is a bit of a challenge. Do you think that MMOs as a sort of hangout are ever going to make a comeback? Maybe if we can't meet in the real world, this type of game is ripe for the picking. I mean, uh, uh, the answer, uh, Fortnite sort of is moving in that direction, you know, with their hangout island. So you can go watch Christopher Nolan trailers and stuff. Do, have but, you done uh, that? Did you go to the Party Royale island? Oh yeah, I was there right when it premiered. I actually, I, I made a little video about it on my YouTube channel, Hanson. Yeah. About going to watch it and stuff. It was, it was exciting to go there. It was exciting to walk up 
But once the trailer started, it kind of it kind of bummed me out, and because people were throwing tomatoes at the screen, and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I'm like, all right, ready to take notes on this Christopher Nolan trailer because I love Nolan so much. And yeah. I'm like, all right, guys, can you stop throwing tomatoes at Robert Pattinson, please? <laughs> it's like you're uh, annoyed going to. You're a not theater. getting invited back to Party Island. Pat. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Uh, but I mean, yeah, that there is an area of Fortnite that is is hangout zone. Yeah. Yeah. Is neat. I think we're going to loop back in that direction Um, again as Fortnite games like Fortnite move towards that. But also I would say like MMOs are still really popular with a younger audience. Like you have, um, you know, just, they just look different like Roblox, for example, like you could look at a lot of those, you know, they're very MMO like you're hanging out and they serve that purpose. It's just, I think we don't have people, not as many people have stuck with world of Warcraft. And so we no longer have that sort of space for like a, I guess like a early adult audience. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I looked because of Geo's question here. I looked at like the Google Trends for Second Life, and it is mm-hmm. fascinating to see that there's an uptick for yeah. people getting back into Second Life, and it's mm-hmm. like directly coinciding with the rise of the pandemic. It's just bizarre. Yeah. yeah. There was some Adult Swim show that had like celebrated their premiere in Second Life or something, wasn't there? Whoa. No way. Yeah, because I, I Griffin Newman was talking about it on the Blank Check podcast because it's a show, it's an animated Adult Swim show that he was in an episode of. Yeah, and they had the premiere in Second Life like two weeks ago. That's like if you can't make Fortnite, like the best runner-up is like the Second <laughs> Life know. marketing teams. Like, hey, come I, on by. I mean, it could have just been Adult Swim doing its Adult Swim thing, you trying know, to be ironic kind of- about it. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Weird. It's very strange. Anyways, Patrick Henderson says, Hey, all, I've been seeing these Last of Us 2 spoilers littered everywhere on the internet. I find it funny these people are coming from the just save you $60 argument. While I'm sure these crusaders of righteousness have only the best intentions, I have a couple of questions. Has a spoiler ever prevented you from buying a game or seeing a movie? No. <laughs> no. Never? Yeah. I'm pr- I, I'm pretty good at dodging spoilers. Fingers crossed, you know. Knock yeah. on wood. But like the the few occasions where something's been spoiled for me, it hasn't deterred me from wanting to experience the full thing. Right. God, I was I was really toying with myself the other day because I watched the first episode of Devs on Hulu, which is like the Alex Garland new show. Um, bizarre overall. Like I enjoyed the first episode, but I'm like, I don't think I'm going to watch the rest of this and so i went to the wikipedia page and had the plot summary like up there like i just want to read the ending i want to know what's going on with the show and then i couldn't do it and now i'm just gonna mm. leave myself in a limbo of like i don't i was too scared to scroll down because i didn't want to have that experience of a show that i realistically will not finish yeah sometimes i'll have like my friends spoil something for me so i can give myself an excuse not to spend the time watching the entire right, right. thing and i'm out yeah uh, and then Patrick's also wondering, what is the official set in stone amount of time that can pass before spoilers are openly allowed? I'd say mm. the Final Fantasy VII remake threw everything out the window because the idea of having to watch yeah. what I say about the original Final Fantasy VII now in the year 2020 is correct. It's the correct thing to do, but it is a weird adjustment. So now it's like this weird thing of you never know what's going to be remade. You never know what's relevant. But yeah, I mean, I mean I, it's pretty long for me. I'd say like five years. My favorite example of this is Polygon. We had to put a spoiler warning on Little Women, which is a (laughs) 200-year-old book. (laughs) So I I appreciate the first 
my first experience with the Little Women story yeah, I, was watching the recent movie. Yeah, which yeah. Was fantastic, <laughs> and it was I loved that I didn't know what to expect going in. I am one hundred percent with you, Kyle. Yeah, like yeah. I, I probably absorbed bits and pieces of Little Women throughout my life, and then watching the movie is like I'm glad I didn't know that this very <laughs> emotional thing happens at this moment. Like it really elevated it. I didn't know that this normally very comedic actor would be playing a very serious role <laughs> later in the film. <laughs> oh yeah, that was the first guy. I wish I had a heads up actually. And then they didn't really do anything with Bob Odenkirk in that film, which was very oh, alarming. Man, come on, man. Why do you spoil the name for? <laughs> uh, that's hardly a spoiler. <laughs> uh, I but I don't know. I think of like, you know, Force Awakens when people could talk about I mean, people could talk about Han Solo and Force Awakens, right? And so that felt like around three years before that cracked. But I don't know. You you gotta feel it out. You gotta wait. It, Jeffem says it, no. It it feels like we're at the point where there just is no statute of limitations. I mean, I guess it, I guess it depends on how much you care about the person that you're discussing something with, and if if you're bringing up something that they possibly don't know about, it doesn't really matter how old it is. If you're saying, "Hey, you know, this story's good." By the way, I don't want to spoil anything for you. Yeah, the, I think the Little Women is the perfect example of that. Where it doesn't matter how old it is, if if you haven't interacted with it yet, then it's just courteous to try and at least warn people if you're going to go into it. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Little Women, I saw Michael Moran, uh, friend of the show, in the in the community Discord. He was talking about watching the Little Women anime. There's an anime? No. I think there are several. There's like, I, cause like after seeing the Greta Gerwig movie and I enjoyed it so much, I went down that rabbit hole trying to figure out all the different versions of Little Women. And I remember watching the intro to the Little Women anime and it's like, it's weird. There's a lot of spanking involved. Like, no. Yeah. No. Is, you got to check it out on it. It's yeah, I, I am. <laughs> is, is it is it actually based on Little Women yeah, though? Or is that is. just a translated title? No, it is the story of Little Women in an anime form. And I want to say anyone can adapt that book free of charge now, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah. yeah, look for yeah. the Max's adaptation coming soon. That's actually going to be the Jeff Cork show. It's going to be great. Uh, Brian W says, "What kind of dipper are you? When it comes to chips, fries, nuggets, or whatever, do you dip just a little to add the extra flavor, or dunk that thing so hard it's more sauce than food?" <laughs> Can I introduce another debate that's very related to this? Yes, a debate. Uh, yeah, ketchup, right <laughs> on top of fries, or dipping fries, because dipping. this has been a prolonged fight. What, what freak of nature is squirting? No, unless it's like poutine. Okay. No. Okay, I, thank no, you. you thank you. It. That's all I needed to hear. <laughs> yeah, that's not a debate. That's a, that's a yeah. right versus wrong. What kind of morons are you talking to, Hannah? What is your life? Apparently, it spreads it better. But I, in my opinion, it makes it soggy. So, like, why would you want that? Also, then your hand is just a mess. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah, you, then you've committed yeah. to ketchup at that point. What if, like, you want mm-hmm. one without ketchup? Yeah, no, mm-hmm. it's all wrong. See, I think, to answer Brian's question, I think uh, I am obsessed with making sure I will finish both the dip and the food at the exact same time. And so if I need to speed up, I will go whole hog whenever I'm dipping. If I need to go light, I will just barely graze the ketchup. I just need to make sure I don't have a remainder because I don't want to eat some stuff without a dip and vice versa. I don't want to have to lick the dip out of that container without anything to dip in. Would you do that if it came to that? No, I would not. I'm trying to think, is there any dip so good that I would? Maybe like some Thai peanutty sauce. I could see myself licking that sucker. Uh, Yeah, sure. 
Great. So I'm a pretty I'm a pretty shallow dipper, but the one exception is if you know it's a communal of dip, then you have to get more dip in there because you mm. can't go back. Oh, interesting. Okay, so you don't want to double dip, so you will just put exactly. an excess amount. But then you're gonna. I don't know if everybody has that logic. And then you're taking up most of that dip compared to everybody else trying to jump into that bowl. My God, have I been a dip jerk this whole time? We got a dip jerk. Uh, uh. Jake Zielsdorf says, hello, Dan Reichert on the show last week. Kyle, you ready for this? Uh, hey. uh, yes. You need to sound very smart. I just want to make sure you're prepared. Uh, Dan Reichert on the show last week repeated the, the game critic shibboleth. Is that the word? I don't know what that is. Hang on, let's look at so it. Up. So good. Shibboleth. Shibboleth. I think it's a Yiddish word. Let's see. Shibboleth, a custom principle or belief distinguishing a particular class or group of people, especially a long-standing one regarded as outmoded or no longer important. Okay. Well, anyways. Uh, so he repeated the long-standing shibboleth that Breath of the Wild was a revolutionary game. This is often said, but I've never heard it explained why it was revolutionary. To me, it was a great game that mixed elements from Assassin's Creed, Skyrim, survival games, and traditional Zelda. What does it mean for a game to be revolutionary if just about everything about it is iterative? Why is a game like Breath of the Wild seen as revolutionary where others like Horizon Zero Dawn or Ghost of Tsushima are seen as amalgams? Folks, we got a question of the week right here. We, congratulations <laughs> oh, on that no. win. This is I, I think soul. if you watch the video from last week, you can see my my brain explode inside of my head when when Dan said that. And I was polite. I didn't want to say anything and pee on your guys' party. <laughs> that pee in that. So dip. you don't think Breath of the Wild is revolutionary? I think it's revolutionary for the Zelda franchise, but the things that you guys go on and on about have been done in so many other games. Kyle, I disagree. I mean, certainly there are elements that Zelda has borrowed from other games, but the thing that really truly gives it sort of the revolutionary edge to me is a genuine sense of freedom. Mm-hmm. Like even things like Horizon Zero Dawn, which I played after Breath of the Wild and really loved, I felt restricted often in how I could move around that world. But Breath of the Wild, there is nothing in that game that you cannot get to or explore without, you know, Putting like oh, push, if you, if you can see it, you can go there, Kyle. Is no, that what but you're saying? nothing is gated. The, nothing in the yeah. story is gated. Nothing in the gameplay is gated. It is as open as it can possibly be. And I think that nonlinearity to that there extreme, is, but there's gated stuff still no, because you're gated by your climbing stamina until you can climb up to a certain place. No, the thing that's is, not true. I don't think that's true. Yeah, I mean there are there. I mean it's easier. It gets easier and easier as you progress. But I don't think there is anything in that world that you cannot get to the top of once you leave the plateau. It just takes a, a significant amount of effort if you don't have all the climbing abilities. But it's just that it's that. I don't lack. Lie. <laughs> okay, the community's going to prove I you wrong. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm sure I can. I'm sure I can't find a video of someone climbing the 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 highest peak in Breath of the Wild after leaving the plateau. I'm sure that'll be very difficult to find. I just, but I mean, it really it comes down to the how I, and maybe it comes down to how you just don't feel restricted in that game. Yeah, like if I'm I'm, playing, I'm gonna glad keep going that, to that was. I'm glad that that was your your experience with it, Kyle. But that doesn't make it revolutionary for all of video games. I think it absolutely I, does. Name another game, an open world game in particular, that's as nonlinear as that. One that Minecraft. Has no, 
No, that has a story that you can experience in any order and you can jump to the end right away. You can't do that in Minecraft. It's not telling a story and then just letting you jump right there. It's, yeah, an awesome playground, but there's a difference between a playground and a narrative that is completely open-ended and you can approach it from any direction. And just the environment you can approach from any direction. I mean, like, I, it's one of those games that after I played it, playing games after Breath of the Wild feels like everything is being held back. Like, I cannot climb everything. Like, I know I've already used an example, but Horizon Zero Dawn, like the fact that I still had to look for handholds on the environment to climb in certain areas and I couldn't escape certain areas where like story stuff was happening. It just felt restrictive. And Breath of the Wild is not restrictive in a way that I don't think had had, I really feel like had not been done up to that point. Yeah, this is still blowing my mind because I felt so constricted playing that game for so many hours and I would come in and complain to you guys in the office and you were like, oh, well, when you get these gloves, it's you can climb a lot easier and all this other crap. Things get easier. Some of the arguments we had was like moving across the water. I remember was a big one that we had in the office. Like it wasn't just you. It was a lot of people. I remember Andy was a little turd about it. Yeah, like they're like, I just, I drown whenever I go in the water. It's like, but you don't understand. There are multiple ways to get across water that don't involve the abilities that you have. You can find stuff in the environment to help you get across that I just, I'd never really seen done in video games before then, you know? Yeah. They've been done. You're on the plateau. Like I was surprised to see the number of ways, like the first, you know, four shrines I saw completed, like so many different paths, like completely, you know, like the environment can like push you, gesture you towards like a specific path. But like, I've never, um, you know, like once you get past the plateau, yeah, there's nothing stopping you from launching you into Hyrule Castle, nothing stopping you from climbing the highest tower. And also even the granularity, like the interactivity of the stuff you drop on the ground. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the, the macro, but yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Also thinking about just the, the shrines and focusing on physics and how bendable everything is, multiple strategies to get to that finish line, which I understand that idea of like, oh, a physics-driven game, that's not new. But I think in the scope of Breath of the Wild, that's the revolutionary part. So, Jeff, um, that's why Breath of the Wild is the greatest game of the year from 2017 and the best game of the entire decade. So, I'm I mean, sorry I, to the author of that email who was completely right, and now he has to listen to this I whole think, conversation. The thing was, is I don't think I don't think that emailer was like necessarily on your side, Jeff. I think they just wanted us to vocalize why we felt like it was revolutionary because, like, it's it is one of those things that it just feels new and novel, but it's kind of hard to sort of put into words. I don't know. You know? Jake called it shibboleth, so I think he's judging. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it, I, we, we have this debate weirdly all the time, Jeff. And it's like, it, it, there's this weird line of like things that you found frustrating in the game. I found really novel and like opportunities to solve puzzles. And that's just like a personal preference. It's just mm. like how you perceive the game. And it's like, you're not wrong in that. It's just like, I just ended up enjoying I, it. I know. And, yeah. and I totally respect those differences. It just drives me nuts when you guys are saying, oh yes, it's so innovative that it has done this. And it's like, I've seen these elements in different games, but it adds up to something more for you guys, I guess. Okay. But at least on the, on the story front, you must agree that that is absurd to let you approach all these things in any direction at any time I'm that you want. Sh- I'm sure there have been other game, open world games where you can go straight to an end boss. It's just that you're going to get your ass kicked if you do it. Jeff, um, you're a professional video game critic and the fact that you don't have it on the top of your mind right now means that <laughs> right. uh, it does not exist to the extent that Breath of the Wild pushed it through. So great. Congratulations. Thank you, Jake, for the question. Um, Scott Castro says, first of all, let me say how great it is to have Anna on board as a contributor to MinMax. Her voice Thanks. and perspective are a refreshing addition. 
Thank you. That's so nice. Yeah. Refreshing compared to these old phonies arguing about Breath of the Wild for three years straight. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you want to talk about Picross next, Jeff? Oh, boy. So here's my question. So, Scott, are there any games that you've played that once you play them with a group of people are impossible to go back to solo? I played Sea of Thieves at launch and was underwhelmed. I played both solo as well as with groups and got bored very quickly and put the game down indefinitely. Recently, I have picked it up again after an invitation from Rook and JJ in the MinMax Discord, and now I'm hooked. That said, it's really only fun when I play with them as a crew and not alone. Have you ever experienced this? Yeah, I mean, most CFDs games. Sea of Thieves is a perfect example. That yeah. game's not fun on your own. <laughs> That's a game where you make your own fun, you know? Yeah. I think I'd have a tough time going back to minecraft and focusing just my own world like yeah. I, I have you know a communal area that i built up with like you know ronnie and other folks and it was just like some of the most fun i've ever had playing games was just playing with them all at the same time and even the idea of buying minecraft on switch now it's like ah, it'd be fun to have it on the go i can play whatever i want but i don't know if i could build up that community again so i don't know if it's worth it yeah. Well, actually, it's interesting that you bring that up with Minecraft because I agree that's a game that I can't. I don't. I just straight up don't play unless someone invites me to, um, which is why if I do sandbox by myself, I tend towards um, Dragon Quest Builders too. Oh, interesting. It's a lot easier. Some gold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Less social pressure as you feel like you're not missing out on much. It's just yeah, you know. Yeah, it's more structured. Yeah. Uh, Chris Lopez says, hello, cohorts with the recent news that Pikmin three might get a port to switch. Why do you think that this franchise hasn't hit the mainstream in a way that other Nintendo franchises have? I love Pikmin and I think that it's a really unique and fun game, but it never seems to be in the conversation when talking about the other great Nintendo franchises. I think Pikmin's a lot harder than other Nintendo games. Like it's just more technically difficult. Um, the Pikmin GameCube game was the first game that like my brothers and I could not beat on GameCube as like, I don't know how old we were, but because that one had like, at least the first one had that, like the time aspect of like, you need to do this every day. And that was Mm -hmm. really rigid, which they eventually, I know it got easier along the way, but having that extra layer on top of that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I was actually going to say the same. Deceptively hard. Like, it's a very mm-hmm. cute game, but, like, I, I I don't really like Pikmin. I beat 2 and 3, and, like, especially the end of 3, there's, like, if you mess up a little bit, like, it really screws you over, and you have to play a lot over, and it, it and mm. it's it's not that fun, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. But, I and then that's not to diminish anyone who loves Pikmin. It's just, like, but I think it is a hard game, and some people really embrace that. But, you know, when I am playing a Nintendo game, I don't want it to hit me over the head too hard mm-hmm. i think it's also the controls i mean i love yeah. pikmin 1 uh pikmin 2 is multiplayer of course and then with pikmin 3 i tried getting into it a couple times and it was that classic wii u problem like okay the best way to play is you just prop up the gamepad so that you can see the map and then have a two uh motes ready to go it's just like it was too absurd and so maybe if they can streamline the controls and still make it uh you know as easy to read as it was on yeah. the Wii U, if you had everything that ideal set up, maybe yeah. they'll kind of revive some interest in that thing overall. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or maybe the rumor, they could... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, there is the rumored version for Switch. Yeah, that's what Chris brought free, up. Yeah, so yeah. They must have figured something out, if that is going to exist. Well, and I love the Pikmin franchise. It'd be cool to see maybe they could just apply it and, you know, significantly rehaul the gameplay. Like that, I feel like that would be a shit. Yeah. Just get rid of all that RTS stuff. Yeah. Uh, Spell Dragon says, hey, CLCs, uh, turn-based RPGs aren't for everyone, but let's change that. You get to pick either a specific game like Chrono Trigger or a new entry in a franchise like Dragon Quest and make it better. Completely change the genre for your new modern release. 
What do you do? How do you improve turn-based RPGs? You remove the turn-based part, <laughs> like Final Fantasy VII Remake did. <laughs> right. Just make it action RPG. I guess. I mean, I mean, if that's for me, I like they just announced that that Japanese Dragon Quest game that's going to be an action RPG. Hey, hey we're, yeah, real and quick. I, what what was your read on that art style? That's not Toriyama, right? It's just closer uh, than. So it's based on the manga. There's a Dragon Quest manga from like the midnight from the late 80s early 90s okay that was like one of shonen jumps like most popular mangas ever hmm. period really um, that that character die dia is in jump force as a as a fighter oh uh, i had no so, idea so i so i think it's only confirmed in japan the trailer is japanese i assume it's maybe an, an adaptation of that manga which maybe has like an older version of toriyama's style right um okay but but like if it's but that I got excited about that. I was like, yeah, I'll play a Dragon Quest action RPG. That sounds great. I just want to hit square and the sword does stuff, you know. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> I think there's like, you know, even stuff with Pokemon, I would let it inch a little bit forward in uh, having some more action elements like a Paper Mario of having just give me time button presses for extra defense, extra attack. That's I think that can do wonders to a uh, turn-based RPG. Yeah, just more active action like I, that's yeah. enough for me just like yeah. have, engage me while we're fighting i don't want to just go through menus so yeah. or i i do like you know like darkest dungeons approach i think was unique where you had permadeath for your different characters and stuff and that and and the kind of order that your characters were standing was also integrated into it and i think monster train is another example of that where you can add different mechan- mechanisms to it and other things to think about as you're trying to figure this out. And it's still, I mean, you know, at its core, it's turn-based, but you're still doing more interesting things than just the, the original formula. Yeah, definitely. Uh, also, somebody was tweeting at me about this. So I wanted to remind people that there's a game that is very, very heavily inspired by uh, early Paper Mario RPGs, and it's called Bug Fables, The Everlasting sapling um but it's a cool game i played a little bit on steam and it's like okay i'm always uh, skeptical of indie rpgs um but it looks great and and it plays pretty well and it's coming to switch uh so you can check that out uh it is currently at overwhelmingly positive for the review on steam so seems like a good contender so check that out bug fables was the name of that one uh king prometheus says hey escape from tarkov pre-wipe event is happening right now which means the wipe will be coming within a week the wipe is something developers do where they reset the game back to a completely fresh start to account uh, for large test changes is there a chance that you'll try the game again after the wipe where everyone's on the same level uh, skill wise in game and gear wise I think I might be good Uh, I I like that game and I like that week of trying to understand it better and playing it for the great goatee hunt and peeing in the bottle or whatever happened in that stream uh but yeah i i don't know if i'll be going back to it maybe if it comes to consoles at some point and they they clean up the interface or streamline the interface i guess i should say um yeah and the the idea that everyone's going to be at the same skill level once they reset is also a little fallacious because those so many people know the map in and out all you know? of the maps, yeah. I mean, it's complete memorization, yeah, for sure. And that and, is a and huge just part. how the inventory works and everything like that. If you have a thousand hours into it, you're still going to kick ass once you, even if you're resetting your weapons and yeah. stuff like that. Once you go back into it, and I know this isn't cool, King Prometheus, and I apologize, but I very much look forward to a Call of Duty developer ripping off Escape from Tarkov so I can enjoy that gameplay. 
and that, <laughs> and that idea of just the, the item economy. But uh, Kim Prometheus also says, a special shout out to the Summer of Soulsborne channel in the MinMax Discord. We're going to play all the Soulsborne games starting with Dark Souls 1 this weekend. So, wow. Skipping cool. Demon Souls, huh? Yeah, interesting choice, MinMax Discord. But hey, mm. you do you. I'm not going to judge. Uh, but not going to play cool. Kingsfield, are you? Yeah, not so hardcore after all. Uh, Sootstone says... Uh oh boy, there's a YouTube creator called Vadi Vidya who has been making videos on the lore in From Software titles more or less since the first Dark Souls was released, releasing a new video roughly every two weeks. Amazingly, they're still finding new things to talk about, and the videos are still popular, getting several hundred thousand views for each video. Between this and a popular Patreon page, I assume this is basically their career at this point. The question is, if you could only cover one non-multiplayer focused game or game series for five years making videos or otherwise what would you choose and do you think you'd be able to make a full-time career out of it breath of the wild <laughs> i'm gonna go and say it <laughs> i mean rip for, off the band-aid. for five years that's not that's not a bad choice i love that idea i, I read this and i was like i kind of want to do that just focus on one thing. I feel like I've been doing it for Final Fantasy VII Remake, but that's... The just... deepest wrist dive? <laughs> yeah, the one where I just go off the grid for five years, <laughs> just focusing only on this one thing. I think that's a super fun idea. Yeah. It's I mean, I, I, I was just going to say, I obviously adore Breath of the Wild, but the one that came to mind for me was just like a Rockstar game. Because like I feel like I never quite... Even if I beat it, I beat Red Dead 2, I beat Grand Theft Auto V... I feel like I barely scratched the surface of those games and I like yeah. almost feel guilty as if I didn't play enough of them, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I guess not including GTA online after like year two, you'd be so sick of even GTA five. Yeah. Potentially. I don't know. I thought of like Stardew Valley. I feel mm. like there's enough you can push there where it's okay. Systems you can play with, but enough of a story focus too. If you really want to spend a month talking about, Maru, you can you just have at date it. every single person. Yeah. <laughs> now we're talking. Uh, you could do uh, one of the Civ games. Oh yeah, I've, I've seen YouTube channels completely devoted to those that just go for years on and years, on. strategies and stuff like that. Yeah, you're right. Or just uh, chess two. I think they released that on Steam a couple of years ago. Remember that one? Or just any sort of chess game. I guess if you really want to overthink it, it seems like people have already been doing that for thousands of years. Um, Jeff, how's Red Dead 2 going, by the way? That was going to be my pick because it will probably take me five years to complete it, so. What's going on? You're playing Mortal Kombat 11 story. We all like Mortal Kombat 11 story, but compared to not finishing Red Dead 2. I was playing it so that we could talk about it on this episode. I was playing that in Monster Train, Handsome. What do you want me to stop playing new games so that we don't have them to talk about? If I had a choice of either play Mortal Kombat 11 story <laughs> mode and talk about last year's game or, you know, fulfill the legacy of at least booting the game back up. Uh, we'll get there. I <laughs> No, we won't. You said we were going to get there after Final what? Fantasy 7. It's been like a month since you wrapped up that game. Yeah. What, what were you playing on? Your Xbox? Uh, no, I was on my PlayStation, so okay. I had no excuse at this point. What the, the Xbox is on the fritz, right? Yeah. What happened? Yeah. Which which I was I was going to download it f- uh because it's on Game Pass now. And I thought uh, yeah. you know, my Xbox One X is more powerful so it might, you know, look nicer and I probably have to restart anyway at this point. I think you should. Uh but uh but, what, yeah, what, what happened to your right Xbox? Now, so. Uh it, it won't show video anymore. 
which apparently is a known a known bug with with kind of the first Xbox One X's. Oh, I, really? I guess there's some kind of chip problem inside. So I'm, I'm working on it. But All right. Uh, we'll get uh, back there. Victor Pham says, does Sony take enough risks, or asks, does Sony take enough risks with their first-party games? Do they make too many cinematic third-person action-adventure games? What would you le- like to see them make instead? Uh- I, I think this is an interesting question. And I, I think too. the answer is that they don't take enough risks, really. I mean, I think Horizon maybe was about the biggest risk they took recently, and it paid off. I mean, yeah, it, bold move for the studio overall. But in terms of making a risk or taking a risk, I think like, all right, well, let's have one of our studios excel in open world RPGs, one of the most successful genres right now. I don't know how much of a risk that is overall. I still think a miracle that they pulled it off, uh, Gorilla in particular. It- yeah, it, it is still open world third person action RPG, which is what all of their games are at this point. But I, I do think I think they take risks in terms of setting and characters and storytelling. You you get a much wider breadth of what yeah. they're doing within that genre, which I think is which yeah. is what sets them apart. I, yeah. It definitely seems like you know, Last of Us had a huge impact on Sony overall. It's like, wow, this game's so successful. And so I totally get it where people are like, oh my God, uh, sad dad of war over here. Like everything has to take the Last of Us inspiration. Even something as bombastic as God of War. Now it has to be about crying and stuff, which I love that new God of War, but I know there's definitely that fan base out there that is irritated by the mopey third person uh, perspective characters from Sony at this point. But I think they take risks. It's just they're really spaced out. Like you can't say that Sony doesn't take risks when they release Dreams this year. Yeah. For the love of That's Christ. One of the weirdest releases. And the mm-hmm. fact that they've been funding it for eight years, nine years, ten years at this point. I mean, that is an absurd or, or, move. Or Death Stranding or Detroit Become Human, which people, you know, may not have liked or, or not, but that's exactly the kind of thing that makes it a risk. Yeah. And I think there is stuff, I mean, in the VR space, it's a smaller budget, but I mean, Astrobot, like leaning that heavily into a 3D platformer, no, well, other than Nintendo, like publishers aren't really doing that outside of in that funky space or even. Or, or, or how about VR in general? Mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wants to yeah. Take a risk on that. yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, but then at the same time, yeah, there are the days gone of the world where it's just like a machine created the concept for that. Like, okay, well, walking dead sons of anarchy, push those together, open world game and ship, you know, obviously a challenge to create the game overall, but in terms of safe bets, it does seem to be on that slightly more cowardly side of making yeah, some bold swings. That is true, but it, it's still like, there was a lot of tech for that game that certainly would not be easy and I'm sure it took a lot of funding and it was still a new IP, you know, like, like they could have shoved that crap into some kind of sequel or some kind of, you know, like a Marvel game or whatever. We'll call it siphon filter yeah. colon Armageddon, something like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like honestly, they could keep going back to that same well and saying, Hey, let's put conquer in something, <laughs> but they're, they let their, I mean, they give their studios, a lot of leeway to try and do their own things and mm-hmm. there's a lot of risk involved with that yeah and you know it doesn't always pay off you think of you know sony santa monica for years developing that sci-fi game that then they ended up 
canceling. And so uh, some of the risks don't see the light of day because like, well, we tried for a while and it didn't quite work mm-hmm. out. But all right. Flaming Queso says or asks, what is the best mode of travel, both in video games and in real life? I mean, the answer is dirigible. <laughs> I, I was literally Googling just this last week, Kyle, about like, can I ride in a blimp? What's the closest <laughs> blimp I could get? Is that an option? And it's like, not really an option. It's Goodyear and they have three locations uh, and they ain't selling tickets. <laughs> you could probably ride in a hot air balloon. Nah, mm-hmm. come on. It's just- fine if you're getting engaged or something, I guess. Uh, I do wish the I wish the like portable hang glider was like a feasible thing, you know. Like I wish you could just jump off a cliff and pull something out of your backpack and be fine. <laughs> like, I mean, I'd you'd be into that. You could do it, Kyle. You could. Oh, I can. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't about to pull <laughs> off in midair or whatever, but I mean, you could use a hang glider. But it'd be really fun if you did it. Yeah, I'd be into that. I'd like. To I'm a fan of mine carts, like just like <laughs> set tracks that I would be able to ride around town take me to the grocery store hell yeah i i was thinking the other day and i was googling to see if i could buy this but i want like something that's basically just a skateboard but then i can put it on train tracks you know so it's just like the perfect width so just like there's no steering or navigating i still kick off like it's a skateboard Mm. and then i can just go along a train track wouldn't that be sweet Google is so confused by you. This guy wants to get on to rituals. <laughs> he's trying to invent a train skateboard. Trying to get track of me, algorithm. I'm all over the place. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the answer is trains, right? I mean, trains are just the coolest things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Was, yeah. I was, yeah. I was going to say horse. <laughs> Boo. Prove it. You don't even know what a horse looks like. You haven't finished right there. How far can you even travel on a horse? I don't know until they get thirsty or kick you off or something. <laughs> uh, James Smith says, "Hey, big spender, hello. Uh, I've got a map game for you this week. How well do you know your open world games? Let's find out with this list of areas within popular open world games. The rules are simple: just match the areas to the respective games. Easy, right? Oh boy. Okay, I'm so guessing not these locations in an open world game. Amberino." Does anybody know what game that's from? Mafia 3. That's Red Dead Redemption 2. I don't remember oh, Amberino. I don't either. Mudplow. Mafia 3. <laughs> <laughs> that's Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Uh, okay. Attica or Attica. Attica. Mm, Final Fantasy 15? Nope. Think about mm-hmm. etymology. A-T-T-I-K-A. Uh, uh, what's the game? Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Yeah, way to go, Jeffum! Oh. Killing it. Falkreath Hold. Um, Shadow of War. Skyrim. Coral uh, Highlands. Come on, come on, guys! Coral Highlands. Uh, Coral. Monster Hunter. Yeah, way to go, Jeffum! Uh, Great Falls Canyon. This is tough. Fallout 4? Nope. That's Anthem. <laughs> Bogano. Uh, uh, well, Delgado? I mean, Wait. Bo- it's Fallen Order, right? Yeah. 
But that's not open world. Uh, yeah, I guess not. Yeah, come on, James Smith. It doesn't count. The fact that we didn't know most of these does not count anymore. <laughs> uh, Tay says, hello, MinMax. With the global sports scene on hiatus, I've picked up both NBA 2K20 and NHL 20 these past few weeks to get my basketball and hockey fix. And it got me thinking. You all didn't talk much about the traditional sports games last week, so I wanted to know if there are any that you play regularly or you liked playing back in the day. No. Uh, I I mean, I love, uh, like, NFL Game Day 98, I loved. Madden 2000 as well. I had a lot of sports games, like, for the Game Gear for some reason, but, I mean, my favorite of all time has to be NBA Street. That first NBA Street on PS2 oh, yeah. was just the best. I was going to say mine was NFL Blitz, so you can tell what kind of sports fans we are. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest of all sports games, yeah. Uh, let's see, do you guys want a tricky one or a nice one? Tricky. Okay. It's tricky, tricky, tricky. Wow, look at this. Uh, Richard Morton says, says, Richard Mortensen says, Hello, MinMax. I've dived into Final Fantasy 15. Shout out to Xbox Game Pass. And I'm really enjoying the game. I'm And having only played a couple of other Final Fantasy games, I've keep, I keep asking myself the question, what makes a Final Fantasy game a Final Fantasy game? There's some music, characters, spells, and weapons that reappear throughout the games, but they change up a lot between games. And I don't know what's connecting these things. I think you outlined it. It is having yeah. the prelude. It is having the potions, having the items. And I guess kind of Sid, but it's not always necessary. Uh, fashion, honestly, like not even a joke answer, but I think fashion is like an important element of Final Fantasy moving on from seven and up, you know? Mm, yeah, but then, I mean, is Final Fantasy one not a Final Fantasy game because the Black Mages aren't stylish enough for you, Kyle? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Honestly, it's a good point because those early Final Fantasies feel pretty standard fantasy you know yeah and it's not well, until I, I guess maybe until around like like four or five is maybe when it starts getting you can start seeing the the strange art style sort of coming through i, guess, I mean like but, the airships and chocobos like i know they're pulling that from other fantasy tropes but it's a little less conventional yeah. even like black mage it's, i don't know if that's really an archetype like that specific style yeah. there's i mean there's also a little bit of um steampunk to it i guess but even that's later kind of on consistent. yeah yeah i don't know that's a good I, question i think it's a loose definition but i think it's, you just know when it is and you know when it's not that's right but i would love to blind somebody and then quiz them is this a final fantasy game because there are some of those where it's like okay it's pulling some things from final fantasy like what the world ends with you it's like is there a universe where they could have called that final fantasy tokyo and people would be like okay yeah sounds about right <laughs> uh sure lucy yearwood wrote in uh, and says, yay, Anna. Yay, um, thanks, Lucy. I don't know if the rest of her message got deleted or what, but there it is. Um, Travis McGowhey says, hello, cohorts. <laughs> what is the largest group of words you can communicate using only two words? For example, saying mom spaghetti communicates the first verse and chorus of Eminem's Lose Yourself. <laughs> this War is and Peace. That's three words, That's three. Kyle. War, peace. <laughs> no. Moby Dick. Don't. Moby Dick. I Little women. There you go. <laughs> Wait a minute. Okay, what about like within the context? We game the system, man. Next question. <laughs> no. I was thinking, okay, what about um, four score? That's pretty good, right? For like conveying okay. something at decent length. But outside of the name of the book, what are like two words that would immediately give that idea of the book? Well, yeah, but it's like in the beginning, it's three words. If you hyphenate, call me, 
into one word. Call me Ishmael? Call me Ishmael. <laughs> you could just say call Ishmael. <laughs> Siri, Siri, call Ishmael. <laughs> <laughs> so the adaptation. Uh, Jeff, mm. what do you think is longer? Do you think the lyrics for Lose Yourself are longer or uh, the Gettysburg Address? Lose Yourself? Do you want to test it? Do you want to pull no. up the lyrics to Lose Yourself? Well, how Lose Yourself is what, three-minute song? Yeah. Probably, give or take. Gettysburg Address was probably was like an eight-minute speech, something like that. I think it's shorter than yeah. that. Anna, do you want to pull up the Gettysburg Address? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Okay, okay I have Original it. And I have an idea of which one's going to win. Okay, and start. Look, for a score if you had seven one years ago, or our fathers opportunity to on seize everything you ever wanted in one moment, would you capture it to the proposition or just let it that slip? all men are created Yo, equal? His now that we are, are sweaty, engaged in the great weak, civil war, arms testing are heavy, whether that nation there's vomit or on any his sweater nation, already, so conceived and so dedicated, but on the surface, he looks calm and ready. To drop bombs. We are met with the great battlefield of that war. What he wrote we down. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field he as a final resting mouth, place for those here who gave their He's lives choking. that the nation How? might live. Everybody it is altogether choking. fitting and proper now, to consecrate. The clock runs we out. We cannot hollow Time's this up. ground. Over. Uh, Blau, the brave men, living snap. and dead, Back to who struggled here and oh, there have goes consecrated gravity. it oh, far above our power to add or detract. He's so mad, That's, they but did he hear. won't give up that easy. Um, no, it is for it us the living, rather, he to be dedicated here to these the unfinished it don't work, matter. which dope. they who fought he knows here that, have thus but he's far broke. so nobly advanced. He's so stagnant. It is rather for us when to he be goes back here, to his dedicated <laughs> to the great task back to the lab again, yo. This whole rhapsody better go capture this moment and hope it don't pass to him. That cause you better for which lose yourself they gave in the, the music. Last full the moment of you own it. That you we better never let it go. That you these only get not one shot. Do not miss your chance this to blow. Nation shall this have opportunity of freedom comes and that once in a lifetime, yo. By the people, his soul's escaping. For the people, through shall his soul not perish escaping from the this earth. world. I barely made it through one verse. <laughs> That's wild. Hey, congratulations. Who's to say which is a better work of art? Uh, it's really going to send the test of time. Uh, you, you guys could have just put that text into a word counter. And That's what, yeah. Oh, <laughs> that makes way more sense. Yeah, but then it wouldn't have been educational, I don't think. Uh, Bob Buell writes in and says, Afternoon, everybody. It's time to play America's fastest growing game show sensation. Suda 51 character or indie pop band. So in oh, every... We, we got to save this for Serial. Come on. Or is he would be too good at this? I think he'd be too good. He's a real ringer. Yeah. So in every matchup below, one option is the name of a character from a Suda 51 game and the other is the name of an indie pop band or solo artist. Can you find out which one is which? Okay. okay. You want, uh, you're going to call on us yeah, each to do this Anna, one by one? Indie pop band or Suda 51 character. Dimitri Nightmare... Or Youngblood Hawk. Which one is the Suda 51 character? Youngblood Hawk or Dimitri Nightmare? 
Um, look at her. She's Googling. No, I'm not. I'm looking down because I think when I look down. Um, yeah, okay. at your phone. I need to go with, I need to go with my gut. Um, Dimitri is the indie Oh, fan. I'm sorry. That's the no. Super 51 character. Kyle, mm. Tallulah Gosh or Nutberry? <laughs> I think Tallulah Gosh is the pop singer, right? Yeah, way to go. All right. Jeff, um, Brian Scary or Jacko Checkbox? Brian? Did you say Brian Scary? Brian Scary or Jacko Checkbox? Jacko Checkbox, please be Suda. That is Suda. Way to go. Uh, Anna, Orange Juice or Kevin Smith? (laughs) (laughs) Um... Orange Juice is the indie band. Way to go. Apparently, Kevin Smith has and always will be a Suda51 character. I think that's a, one of the Killer 7, right? Isn't it? Yeah, Probably. I think that's right. They're all well, Smiths, I think, right? Oh, are Hopefully they all Smiths? I think, yeah. Serial's screaming right now if he's listening to this. Yeah, oh, he's so mad. Uh, okay, Kyle. Thunder Ryu or Sun Kill Moon? Uh, Sun Kill Moon, I believe, is uh, Suda. No, Sun Kill Moon is the band. I thought you were going to get that oh. one. They well, have, yeah, because he does... Or, or is that a sweary game? Flower, Sun, and Rain. Yeah, I think that's maybe what you're thinking uh, okay. of. Sun, yeah. Sun Kill Moon did a full cover, I think, of Modest Mouse's Moon in Antarctica. It's like very okay. slow and cool. Uh, Jeffum, Let's Shake or The Remains of Brian Borchert? Which uh, the Remains, I'm going to say, is Suda. I'm sorry, Let's Shake is the Suda51 character. Thank you, Bob Buell, for submitting that. Question of the week. What do y'all like? Uh, the Zelda one was heated. Oof. That's uh, true. I, I also liked uh, Controller Innovation. It's good. And uh, the Overlooked Games in a larger franchise. I like that one, too. Those are my three that I liked. Yeah, I like that the Sony take enough risks. Um, I like that one, too. Yeah, I do like that Zelda one, though, in terms of making the show better, which is the entire point. Anna? Uh, that made it actively worse. Okay. All right. <laughs> you, you Anna, I was going to say, I saw the whole new side of the two of you today. I was just like, I'm going to sit back and let this play out. Like, yeah, yeah that's mean. We used to sit next to each other. Imagine That, that side used to happen at Game Informer every day for yeah. like a good two-year period after yeah. that game came out. Anna, as the newest contributor to MinMax, uh, I'm going to leave this up to you. What do you think is the best question um, of the week? I liked the Zelda one. All right. There it is. Jake right. Zielsdorf. Congratulations. You win the Cuphead vinyl soundtrack. Thank you so much. And uh, if you're interested in this thing, you can always check it out uh, for everybody else at IM8Bits uh, store and get 10% off if you enter the promo code MINMAX. Thanks so much. And now it's time for Get a Load of This. Gell it. Mark Yafaba. Hey, get a load of this. Uh, Twitter hasn't improved any in the in the past week since last week's debacle, but there I did find uh, one happy one tweet that made me really happy. Oh, good. Uh, and it was from one Tim Turry <gasps> who tweeted, "Well, The Godfather was predictably excellent. Not sure what took me so long. Love the scene in the hospital as a turning point for Michael. Looking forward to number two and three. 
So Tim finally watched The Godfather, which <laughs> which we gave him crap for years and years. Yeah. I don't know why he was avoiding it for so long. But the other reason I liked that was uh, all the all the responses to him were just totally trashing on number three and yeah. saying it's complete garbage. It's not don't consider it part of the trilogy or whatever. And that st- really stuck out to me because it certainly is the weakest film in the trilogy, but like the the performances are still just as great as, you know, I mean, Al Pacino doesn't get worse. Yeah. And that's and, like the one and, where it comes from where he's like, oh, they keep pulling me back in the whole thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and it's, it's also, it stands out to me so much that people, people love the Godfather so much which is all about that one character, but then you're just going to completely discount what happens in, you know, like the later part of his life and the final conclusion for that character. Like, it, right. And, and that part of the movie is actually really great. And so if Tim's watching, go ahead and you watch that third movie, Tim. Jeff, um, I've, uh, I've never seen Godfather two. Uh, and Damn I know it. everybody loves it. I should probably do it during the quarantine, right? Yeah. You should watch, you should watch two and three. I mean, Just there's no way watching it. three, but I will go out of my limit <laughs> at some point, I think, to watch two. Because the structure I know everybody references all the time, and I don't fully understand what's going on there. But uh, Anna, do you have a get a load of this? Yeah, get a load of this. So this is kind of building off of something that came up, I guess, last time I was on MinMax. Um, I was talking about this game called Raccoon. It's like a really unknown indie game. Yeah. Um, made by Laura Shigihara, who did the... Um, soundtrack for Deltarune, um, part of Chrono Trigger to the moon. Um, but she, it's her like indie game. And I saw that, um, they are making it into like a fully kind of Pixar style animation, animated show. And so I've never seen like an indie get picked up for something like that before. And I watched, um, like a, there's like a five minute clip on YouTube and it looks beautiful. Anna, I can't believe you're just, outright dismissing mighty number nine i mean come on <laughs> hang on did they did they actually release a show no i don't think that show ever came to exist. remember remember red ash which was their like oh, Mega yeah. Man legends game that did not get funded but they're like we're still gonna make it and it's been radio silence also remember mm. the time when i uh gave that team money because i wanted to see two player productions documentary on it and they only released one episode <laughs> remember how frustrating that was yeah we're all frustrated for you oh, uh, this sounds much more uh, optimistic than Mighty number nine on it. <laughs> yeah, it's really cute. I think it's made for kids, so. Gotcha. Kyle? Uh, hey, get a load of this. Uh, speaking of more animation, actually, this is a YouTube video from March 16th, 2020 on from Vanity Fair. And I really I really found it fascinating. It's, it's not super long. It's like nine minutes long. And it is a super in-depth dive on the process of recording uh, voiceover for the Pokemon animated Oh, show. yeah, I watched that. That mm. was great. You did? Okay, yeah. And it's uh, who's that? Sarah Natachenny. Not not I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name, but she's, but she's been playing Ash for, like, years at this point. She's not the original Ash voice actor, but she's been Ash for a long time. And she just walks through, like, in this nine-minute, well-edited video. This is how dubbing works. This is, we have a, you know, there's an engineer here that sets, like, you know, the, 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 the time for me and tells, and like, here's how we redub it. If I didn't get the, the voice quite right, it's, I really thought it was super fascinating. Yeah. Cause like, we all know that like, Oh, that'd probably be hard to dub an anime. And then just that video shed so much insight into like, okay, here are the exact challenges. The timing aspect alone, you don't realize until it's like, Oh, every scene is just brutal yeah. to squeeze in. 
it's definitely one of those things that makes me appreciate like anime dubbing. Like when I'm yeah. like, oh, they're not getting those My Hero Academia episodes out fast enough. I'm like, oh, okay, this is like way harder than I thought it was. So yeah, I don't, for sure. Sorry, <laughs> sorry for yelling about that. Yeah, but yeah, check it out. Very good. Cool. Uh, hey, get a load of this. Uh, Andre Seegers, Seggers, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but uh, from Game Explain, yeah. he tweeted out this thing that maybe I knew about it at some point, but I completely forgot about. But um, he says that the secret best 2D Mario games since Super Mario World are the additional Super Mario 3 levels that were in the Game Boy Advance port that you got with the cards. With the mm. card reader, you could add new levels on. And he brought up the point, which blows my mind, that apparently the Wii U eShop version of uh, this game, which, of course, was Super Mario Advance 4, Super Mario Brothers 3, comes with all of those levels included. So all 38 e-reader levels from that weird version of Super Mario Brothers 3 are in the Wii, Shop, Wii U eShop version, uh, which maybe we want to go back and check those out. That'd be a fun stream at some point and check out those bonus levels. So right. like that old scanner for the Game Boy? Yeah. On those? Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought it was like, okay, there's some weird stuff you can do with it every once in a while, but I forgot that you can add levels, but that's a, a weird idea. Also, I saw like there was a Resetera thread a while ago, but like, yeah, I opened up the Wii U eShop and... I was amazed how many retro games are in there. Like you forget that that store eventually was just overflowing. And now it's like, all right, that's in the past. It's, Moving it, on. It's the best virtual console, honestly. Oh, of course. Yeah. You like yeah. if you want to, you know, buy legal Super Nintendo games and stuff, that's the best way to do it. Hands down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, do you have one from the community? Yeah. Hey, get a load of this. Uh, I believe Roland posted this. Um, it is a video from a guy called Mark Rober and it will, just make your day. Uh, this this guy, apparently he built a, you know, like ultimate ninja warrior obstacle course for the squirrels in his yard that would steal seed from his bird feeder. How cute. <laughs> yeah. And and it is, it is insane what these squirrels have learned to do and go through to get to, you know, this. They're still raiding his uh, bird seed feeder. Of course. But it, it is... And he, he filmed it really well and kind of walked through how he built everything. And, and it it's just a delightful thing to see. And That's it will make you happier. Fantastic. Yeah, the, the other nice thing about the video is he also takes the time to be like, this is why this will not hurt the squirrels. Oh, too. really? Like, very oh. cautious of like, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's really cool. I've seen that, yeah. Confuse them, but not torture them. I got it. Exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, hey, thanks to everybody that has watched or listened to this episode of the MinMax Show. If you enjoy the show, please help share it with a friend. Also, want to remind people that this Sunday at 6 p.m. Central, we have the call-in episode of MinFax. So if you support us at the $20 tier, even if you bump it up right now, just for one month, uh, you'll be able to call in and talk to us about whatever you want to talk about. The floor is yours. If you want to talk about a game you've been playing or something that's happened in your life, uh, we're happy to answer any questions or listen to your monologue and, you know, shoot the S, as they say. Um, but thank you to all of our $50 supporters. That's Captain Stubbs 1, I Am 8-Bit, Jawar Hello, Rob Hudak, Zachary Pliggy, Beaten Down Brian, The Smack, Mark Seliga, Andrew Valla, Marco Arrico Torreno, Jesse Vitelli, Yarrow, Michael Jakes, Adam Walker, uh, Ludwig Roque, Andrew Sanford, Matthew Paxton, James Smith, and David Lacalucci. Thanks so much, everybody. Be good. Have fun. Let's go. Let's go.